This is where I interview Barry Wills from the documentary Framing John DeLorean. I've never interviewed anyone before, and if they're all going to be as interesting as Barry, I'll interview anybody. He gets into the reads about what happened with himself at DeLorean. He covers his career, which is a fascinatingly interesting career. And it was just that we geek out a bit on a lot of stuff. And I found this to be probably the best two hours I've spent during 2020. And I've done a lot in 2020, even though I've been stuck inside. So thank you very much for listening, downloading. Uh, any comments, buzz them over on our normal pages, the Facebook page, etc. Again, in the show notes is linked to Barry's page as well as all his brilliant books. Check him out. He really is a fascinating, lovely man. Thank you very much. I'll see you when I see you, I guess. Ta-da. So what did you have for breakfast? Scotch porridge oats, as always. Do you have that every day? No. Um... Do you I have start, that before start, the gym? I start, I wake up at six. Yeah. I go into the kitchen, make myself a huge mug of tea. Yeah. Um, always Yorkshire, nothing else but Yorkshire tea. Uh, and a banana. I just need to point this out. I'm from, I'm from London. I, I right? did notice. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice. I, I'm not, this is, you, you mentioned a second ago, you've been to over 50 countries. Mm-hmm. I've been to about 32. I'm reasonably well-travelled. Well um, I haven't got a clue where Yorkshire is. Shame on that, you. It's disgraceful, isn't it? Yet my, I live there for a period. But my goddaughter lives in York, so I've been there. But I don't get... And my missus is from Manchester. You've never been to the Dales? No. Yorkshire Dales? No. You know what you've missed? I've been to... Uh, it's above. I've you must of, have seen... You must have seen Old Creatures Great and Small when you were young on TV. Yep. James Herriot. I didn't notice Well, the... that's Yorkshire. That's West right, Yorkshire. Right, okay. Yeah, no, the I didn't Dales. notice any of... Shame. And you've been to the Lake District? No. Ask me one more. Go on. This is uh, how much of a Londoner I am. Derbyshire Dales. No, Barry. Derbyshire Dales. No, Barry. No. No, you've been to North Staffordshire Dales. No. I've, I've drunk in North Staffordshire. <laughs> Does that... Leak. Into leak. <laughs> No. You had a leak in leak. But I've, I mean, I've gigged all over the country, right? So I do comedy. So I've, oh, I've, I've travelled the, com- the country, oh, okay. but I couldn't tell you where. Like, this is my first ever time in Warwick. Okay. It's, well, I mean, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And it's with Barry Wills, which I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. over the moon with. So just to <laughs> to set it up, um, so you're Barry Wills, yeah. I'm Matt Wills. Yeah. That's the reason I'm Matt here. Matt with one T. Yeah, well, because my stepbrother... Uh, he was called Matthew as well. Oh, okay. And his brother was called David. And my name is, my full name is Matthew David Wills. That's confusing. And they were called Matthew and David Hill, which was just as confusing. <laughs> so my stepmom had to call me Willsy. And he was called Matt I'm with Willsie two T's. To, I'm Willsy to some friends. Right, yeah, not, yeah. Not everyone, but so, some um, of them, yeah. Willsy, W-I-L-L-S-I-E. Oh, okay, I'm the other... I'm, the, I'm a Y. You're a Y. Will's you with a Y. Yeah. Here's the thing I'm I want Barry to ask. with an IE, of course. How is that? Yeah, what? I've never met a Barry with an IE before. 
Because that, that's clearly from your dad, I'm going to assume that was. I think, I think it's purely the fact that my father couldn't spell. I don't think there's any other reason for it. And he, he wrote it down wrong on the birth certificate. And the, re- <laughs> the reason I say that is that for the first 10 years of my life, I spelt my name with a Y. And it was only when I saw well, yeah. my birth certificate for the first time, I realised it was spelt I-E. Because I'd never, my name was never written down. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, you're not, you know, it's not, well, I suppose it was written down on birthday cards, but I think even my, I think my parents even wrote it with a Y because it got lost in the mists of time. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. I used to have a friend called uh, Dino, D-I-N-O. Oh, and when, like Which Dean is a Martin. weird name. It's Italian. What? Is it? Dean Martin's real name is Dino. You heard uh, of Dean Martin? D- yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> That's what Dino we should be doing, Martini. having a drink. And a... Dino Martini. Oh, was that okay. his name? Yeah, that's his name, Sicilian. Oh, okay. Well, the reason he was called Dino is because his dad was dyslexic and they wanted to call him Dion. And when he went and filled out the forms, <laughs> he, it he got it wrong. <laughs> so that was that's it. That's even better. <laughs> that was just... I like that. That's even better. Yeah, that's even better. So um, so then I had my pos- Scott Sporridge Oates going back to your original question. When I come back oh, from nice. the gym. So not before... No, no, I might too heavy on my stomach, you see. Yeah, I don't eat so before I'll come the gym. So I'll come back, I'll have a banana before I go to the gym. Got to have something in there. And then uh, come back, have a, a bowl of, good bowl of Scott's, Scott's porridge. It can't be any other. Don't Do any you get gluten-free or non-gluten-free? No, no, no. Just, just the real thing. Made with water and salt? Salt, no sugar. Yeah, no salt. sugar, absolutely oh, right. Yeah, don't yeah. have bloody sugar in your, in your porridge. No, salt. Yep. Um I'm, and water 500, or milk? Mil, 500 mil, 100 of mil of which is milk, and the rest is water. Wow, okay, all right. It gives you the right texture. I, I don't use the milk, so I just. Oh, you can do it that way. I've done it that way before. Yeah, so just water, salt, and oats, which ev- yeah. I've never met anyone else who yeah. who goes for that. If you don't do the salt, it's awful. It's terrible. It tastes yeah, like yeah, God yeah. knows what. Yeah. But why do you do it that way? Because mine is because of my that. nan. My dad. Right, yeah, okay. We pick up these things, right? And you you get used to it as a kid. Because if you yeah. woke up every morning yeah. and your dad clipped you around the ear yeah. every yeah. single morning. That's right. The first girl you met, if she would have clipped you around your ear, you would have been, she's the girl for me. Because you would have just got used to it. Absolutely, yeah. How many times? You said you've been married a few times. Only twice. What do you mean, only twice? Only twice. <laughs> What's the... Uh... To, to, yeah, you can't take it with me. No, no I've, I've got no regrets at all. I've had two wives, and uh, I've got two lovely kids from each. Two girls from the first one. Right. That one brought me those two beautiful granddaughters. Cool, and, man. Uh, Where do they live? They live in... Well, they live... Uh, she lives in Warwick. She lives not far away. Right, okay, cool. Uh, they're now... They've flown the nest. Uh, the dark-haired one is in kingston bon Thames. She's almost a landowner. She oh, okay. says clams and custard like you. Right, okay. Uh, and uh, Daisy is in Cardiff. She, she's going to become Welsh. And then my other two kids, which it's are those two, those two, which are now, and yep. those two there behind you. Yeah. Same two. They're in, uh, well, uh, she's in Ireland, uh, where her mother went. And um, he's in Italy. He's working in Italy. So. Oh, what does he do? Oh, he's working in, uh, he's just, he's actually, he's just bumming around. He's working in um, campsites and things, and he's 
he's heading up to the Italian Alps to work in one of the ski centres. And your daughter, what does she do then? Uh, she's um, she 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 got a degree in hospitality or something, and she she runs a restaurant in um, Kenmare, I think it's called Kenmare, beautiful beautiful uh, sailing uh, resort in uh, Ireland, County Cork. Yeah, yeah, that's I Gorgeous. nearly got married there. Did you? Yeah, ah. that was. Um, I think it's near the Ring of Kerry. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah, um, it's right close to the Ring of Kerry. Yeah, I was... Well, I was yeah. engaged, obviously, and... Yeah. Well, to an Irish girl. To an Irish girl, yeah. yeah and funny. we were going to get married. Yeah. It didn't happen, but yeah. we, we picked the place. I'm sure it was Kenmare. Yeah. Well, Ken... I, 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 there's Kenmare and Kinsale, and I used to get the two... I used to always get the two mixed up, but I'm pretty sure it is Kenmare. It was beautiful, I know that. It, it is lovely, yeah. absolutely it's, stunning. It's a sailing resort. Yeah, it was so it's well, a holiday resort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so she runs she a restaurant to, there. Well, yeah, she manages a restaurant there, I should say. Yeah. That would be weird if that was the place where I was going to get married. I wouldn't it? That would be a very that weird be connection. It's really spooky. Yeah. T- tell me about this Wills guy you met as well. So, uh-huh. so you said you met one of the Wills tobacco people. Well, yeah, I know you've he, already said it. But it was tell a holiday. Uh, I, I rented this um, Scandinavian type chalet on a. Well, it was like a campsite, only over a vast area in woods, you know. Right. And you got these chalets dotted around in the woodland, and it was fairly close to the sea, I think, somewhere in Scotland. Yeah, when I got there, it was a reception to to book in and um, to check in. And um, when I gave my name, she said, "Oh, are you are you related to our Mister Wills?" And I said, <laughs> "Not that I'm aware of." And that's when it came out that he was a a wealthy a member of the wealthy Wills tobacco family. Because I've got a um, I don't know if you've seen the Wills tobacco cards that you can get. They were cards that oh, came yeah, with the cigarette, cigarette cards. cards. Yes, yes, yeah. So I've got a picture of yeah. of those. Which oh yeah, and I always wondered if I was related in any way. <laughs> uh, well, you've got to be a millionaire. So you're clearly not. I'm clearly not. Because well, I what I understand is the Wills. The majority of Willses are in the southwest, in Devon and Cornwall. Well, we already know. I don't know where England. I don't know much about England. So yeah, thanks for the Devon and Cornwall. I think that's where you you probably emanate from. Because Wills, the there's a clothing brand. How often are you called Willis? All the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sick of it. I I got prowls who call me Bruce Willis. Well, you were saying when you checked into a hotel at times. Oh, yeah. Have I told you that story? Well, yeah. But oh, tell yeah. me again yeah. for the tape. Well, I, when I worked in um, Northern Ireland for DeLorean, I had a delightful secretary called Brenda uh, who had a, a local accent, a, an Ulster accent. Right. And she would pronounce my name Mr. Wallers. Yeah. You know, like um, not, not as strong as um, the Reverend Paisley, but uh, a softer version of that, Mr. Wallers. So when I was traveling, I did a lot of traveling internationally and um, I would turn up to hotels and I'd say, you know, I'm expected, like America, you know, I'd turn up at a reception and say, uh, Wills, I'm expected. They'd go down the register and say, sorry, there's no Mr. Wills. Yeah. Are you sure? Look again. I said, we've got a Mr. Willis. I said, what's the initial? B. That's that's me, I think. <laughs> Anyway, this went on and on and on for a long, long time, and all over, all over the world. And um, I mean, there are occasions, for instance, on um, uh, 
airport check-in desks where you could see the look of disappointment on the face of the girl be- when when B Wills turned up and rather than down as B Willis rather you know? than Bruce Willis yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I even had hair in those days so um, but the the classic one was um, in Milan when I turned up to a, a hotel in Milan and it was the same routine sorry we don't have a Mr Wills we're not expecting Mr Wills I said well, well try Willis are you expecting a Mr Willis <laughs> And they said, um, yeah, 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 we're going to miss two of us. Oh, that's me. So the guy went around the back and got a key. I th- he took rather longer than usual. And he came back with the key, gave me the key. I got in the lift, went up to whatever it was, the third, fourth floor, walked down the corridor, put the key in the door, opened the door. And as I stepped in, there was Mr. Willis pulling his trousers up. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't Mr. Willis. Better than Mrs. Willis Ford, pulling her trousers up. Yeah, yeah. Good job, it wasn't a, good job it wasn't a Mrs. Willis, yeah. Um, yeah, and it turned out that there was a second... I was actually booked into a, a, a one of a, a group of apartments which were round the back, and they had a separate reception area. So when I went round there, I'd actually... I was down as Wills. You were in as Wills. Down as Wills there, yeah. So at least I had somewhere to stay. But that was the all-time classic, yeah, Mr. Willis. Uh, yeah, Willis for me all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. You think you think the name Wills had never appeared on a cigarette packet, wouldn't you? But also now there's a famous uh, youth clothing brand. Yeah, by Jack, Jack, Wills. Wills. Jack Wills. Jack Wills. And I buy That's some what, of his stuff because I just like says, I like walking around at my age and seeing all these attractive young women with the name Wills emblazoned like, over their breasts. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, fantastic. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Miss. I'm, do you want my autograph? Yeah. I thought, I thought I'd change my name to Jack. <laughs> I wanted to go into his original store and just buy something. Just go do it. Is there any family it's British, discount? It's a British brand, apparently. Yeah, in Sulcum. It's, but it's a made-up name, isn't it? I don't think it's a guy called Wills that created it. Is it? Do you know more? I have no idea. No, I, I think that what I was told was it's just a made-up name. And why he chose Wills, I do not know. But uh, Oh, that's quite heartbreaking. Yeah, 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 it is in a way, isn't it? Yeah, because it's a really unusual name. Yeah. I, I think I've met I've met one other Wills in my life. Well, you're the and, same. And now, you're yeah. only the second. Yeah, you're the second one yeah, I've met. Oh, okay, going. there you same go. Same boat. So tell me about... Um, mm-hmm. I was watching a documentary with you in it. So I, Which it, one? I mean, well, know, here's I'm, the I'm thing. I'm a movie star, you know? You are a... I've so, got an IMDB listing, for heaven's sake. You've got a few... I don't know IM, where that came from. You've got a few IMDB listings. I so know. Thanks. You're our first ever guest on Discussing Documentaries podcast. <laughs> and here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You're setting the bar pretty high. Am I? Because when we talk about documentaries, mm-hmm. I think you're going to have been in more documentaries than anyone else we're ever going to talk to. Hands down. Well, well, I don't know how many I've been. I don't know. I've, I've done. I've done so many. I, I lost count. In fact, the the most amusing one really is the um, the, the the most recent framing John DeLorean one. Yes, yeah, that's the one we reviewed. Because, okay, well, that one. Came and that's where about, I heard about you. Um, I was asked yet again. Uh, a guy came over from America to uh, Tamir Arden, super bloke, came over from America. To, where the hell did he film me? I've got a feeling he filmed me in uh, Northern Ireland at a really owner's thing. Yeah, he came across for that. Okay, and uh, he interviewed me there, and uh, I didn't know what he. I just thought it's just another 
talking head thing. Yeah. 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 Just another interview, you know, like so many I've done. (laughs) Anyway, about, um, about, oh God, it might have been a year later. He emails me and said, Wallace, you know, remember me? Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. He said, um, we've, we've got a famous Hollywood actor to play the part of John DeLorean. We've turned it into a biopic. I thought, strike a light, you know, I'd have put a collar and tie on when I was interviewed, I'd have realised that. Um, <laughs> he said, I can't tell you who it is, but it's a pretty big name. I thought, oh, okay. So certainly a bit bigger than I thought this was going to be. So, uh, and then about uh, ten days later, he emailed again. He said, I can now tell you it's Alec Baldwin. And, of course, I'd seen Alec Baldwin do Donald Trump. Have you seen his Donald Trump? Yeah, on Saturday I mean, Night Live. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah. And so, but even then, I was astonished um, the extent to which Baldwin must have studied John. Yes. Because he got every one of his mannerisms. Really? To a tea. It was like watching John. I mean, obviously, he couldn't, he got obviously the prosthetic chin and he got the wig. The eyes were the giveaway. He, he obviously couldn't repeat the eyes. Um, but watching him just stand there. Move. Uh, he got John had got a strange sort of tick, a nervous, almost like a nervous tick. Right. Okay. He got that off doing absolutely on the shoulder tick. when he was doing yep. right. Well, I, I can't remember where it is now. It's somewhere, somewhere around his body. He got this tick, and you know, once you know it, you, you can watch that documentary again and you'll spot it. Okay. But right. he got all those things off to a T. It was. Unbelievable. And you met him, right, on the red carpet. This is what... No, no, I was there on the red carpet. I didn't meet him. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get near him. Because I'm kind of thinking of you and Alec Baldwin in the... No, um, He's only... phoning you up for notes going, hey, Barry, is <laughs> no. this right? No, no, no. I got my, my interview, that it was all done without me even uh, being in the same room. Um, I was, well, yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he was all his stuff was done in the States. Um, but yeah, we were in, we were in uh, New York for the red carpet and we did walk the red carpet and I was about three behind him. And the closest I got was when I had to stop and was held up whilst he broke through the barrier to buy his, um, uh, popcorn. He went and bought his own popcorn. Popcorn. I think that's why people love Alec Baldwin. He's very down to earth. Well, yes. I mean, I observed him, and because uh, he was surrounded by people, and I, I wasn't going to go up to him and say, "Look, I'm Barry Wild." You know, <laughs> you may have he, he heard of me. He certainly didn't come up to me and say, "I'm Alec Baldwin." <laughs> <laughs> so no, I just left. And it, it was the same. I mean, I was. Uh, there were lots of owners there who knew who I was. And there were some good old friends as well, like the, the, uh, D.A. Pennybacker and uh, Chris Hegedus. They were there. I was absolutely delighted to see them. I hadn't seen them since 1981 when they filmed us. Right. Um, or 1980. Uh, the, the film was shown in 81. It was 1980 when they filmed us. Um, the original Fly on the Wall stuff. Uh, and um, another guy called Fred Dellis, who, who was the guy who ran a company called Legend Industries that developed the uh, turbocharged cars that right, okay. I kept in touch with over the years. In fact, I, I worked very closely with Fred on another project about uh, in the 2000s. 
Um, he was around, so you know there were lots of people to talk to. Yeah, so, okay. You know, how did you first get involved with DeLorean then? So, well, I was between jobs. Right. Okay. I'd uh, resigned from Reliant right. Motor Company, where I was deputy managing director after a change of ownership. Yeah. Okay. And I found myself incompatible with the owner. Yeah, that happens. Right? And uh, you know, he wasn't going to res- resign, so I, I decided I had to. Yeah. In fact, he he took away all my responsibilities. So for th- I did nothing for three months because he took all my responsibilities away. Nobody reported to me. And they just wanted me to leave. You know, why without don't any they, compensation? I've never understood why don't they just ask? Why don't they just ask? Yeah, yeah. I was ready to do a deal. Yes. Eventually, that's exactly what did happen. But they wasted I, I three months. Of yeah, their they wasted life. three months. They paid me for three months. Right. Yeah, paid me for three months. They didn't need to. Anyway, it, it didn't work. I was determined not to resign, uh, not to just leave without a job. Um, and um, oh, I screwed around for oh six or seven months. I was approached for. Um, um, TVR came along. I was going to be MD of. TVR, that came to nothing. I was going to be MD of Aston Martin. That came to nothing. Wow. Uh, Lotus were courting me for the whole period. And the biggest biggest joke there was that they couldn't hire me because I was determined not to take a job at a lower salary than I'd been earning at Reliant. Yeah, okay. And the problem was that the managing director of Lotus was earning less per annum than I was earning as deputy managing director of Reliant Motor Company. Was that Colin Chapman? Because no, 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 he was the owner. He was paid a fortune. Oh, he was. Right, <laughs> he okay, paid right. himself a ton of money. <laughs> um, no, a guy called Mike Kimberley, who uh, I'd first met at Jaguar. He was a, he's quite a bit older than me, but he was finishing his apprenticeship uh, during the time I started mine. So I'd known, yeah, okay. I'd known Kimberley uh, ever since then. And, uh, of course... Uh, when I was at DeLorean, I was given the job of um, chairing what was called the Product Coordination Committee, which effectively was the uh, the means through which Lotus's programme was monitored. Right, so okay. I, ra- yeah, yeah. I ran regular weekly meetings at uh, Lotus. And so... And the year of this would have been around, what, 79? Well, 78? yeah, the product coordination st- stuff started in 79 and ran through to 80... Ran through to, yeah, uh, 81. And then... Eight, early 81, yeah. So, sorry if this sounds a rude question, but... So, I've worked in... So, my background is IT. Yeah. And I've worked in quite big banks, and we changed the way they work from an IT point of view because mm-hmm. I got in with the right blokes. And mm-hmm. I'm not the smartest guy going, but I'm one of the hardest workers. Good. So, yeah. And it just worked for Thanks me. For and life, I basically yeah. attached myself to people like you mm-hmm. um, who went, Oh, we're going to do this. And I went, okay. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we could, and I got it done. That mm-hmm. was what I did. Okay. Now, whenever we have meetings, especially these days, mm-hmm. everything is uh, it's all Skype meetings or it's, you know, Zoom. Yeah, it's all technology-wise. Yeah, yeah. Or previously, when I first started, so I started working in the banks around 1990, it was all face-to-face. So how were you doing these meetings then with these? Around a table. You would all get together and... Around a table, there'd be about... Yeah, uh, okay. Everyone be... smoking? 
uh, apart from me, I did more passive smoking around yes. meeting tables than ever. Yeah, I, yeah. I grew up on uh, my father smoked Will's Woodbine, so I I passively smoked Woodbine for the first twenty years of my life, and then uh, uh, when I started work, uh, yeah, you'd sit around. I can remember as a young man sitting around. I was introduced to high-level meetings quite early on in my career at Jaguar. Right. And I can remember sitting around uh, tables at Jaguar with all these guys all puffing around cigarettes. And I can remember on one occasion feeling like I needed a cigarette. (laughs) I needed to light up a cigarette because I was a passive smoker. Roy Castle died from it, didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah. He died of cancer from... Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm amazed I'm still alive. Why do you think I go to the gym every day? Yeah. It's to was, cough out the nicotine. Because yeah, the lungs can repair themselves, can't they? Fortunately, yeah. My dad... So my dad's with a woman now that we call Mum Four. <laughs> and his his three other partners, yeah. all of them, were 20 to 40 fags a day. Blimey. And yeah. when the last one sadly died... Oh, okay. Um, and then he got with one... So he's now with a non-smoker. Okay. And I think it's killing him. I think he's, he's a non-smoker. He's never smoked he's, he in never his life. Smoked. Never. Like me, so I've never smoked in my life. Yeah. And well, I've had the odd one behind the milk shed. You yeah, know. yeah. But I, I think he's really missing nicotine. I think, I think he misses nicotine more than the women. Well, they, all, the... they all smoke. I would say about fifty percent of the uh, Delorean Lotus groups smoked. There's one particular guy, uh, my, uh, my closest, one of my closest allied at Delorean. It was a bit of a mentor to me, a, a guy called George Broomfield, who was absolutely brilliant. He was our manufacturing director. And he was a hard-nosed Detroiter. Right. Gold chains around his wrist, you know, and um, a big 60s moustache, 70s moustache, magnum, almost magnum style. Nice. And, uh, yeah, full head of hair, all slick back. Um and he smoked like he smoked like a chimney and drank coffee. In fact, his secretary had a coffee machine going on his desk all day. You okay, know, so it was just, coffee and cigarettes. It, it was coffee and cigarettes kept George going. Yeah, brilliant man. So coffee you got? How did you get back to that? How did you get involved with Delorean? Oh yeah, so that, yeah. So that's they found. You ask no, well, yeah, John. You? John found me somehow. Um, I don't know how. I, I just don't know how it happened. I I was aware of it because. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was out of work, or between yeah. jobs, put it politely. And uh, uh, Lotus was still screwing me around. They they couldn't uh, up the ante. Uh, and that was the big problem there. I, I just had a meeting with Colin Chapman and his finance director at the London Motor Show of 1978, October 78, when they were supposedly going to find a way to overcome the salary problem. God knows how they thought they were going to do it because they'd have had to have lifted the whole company's yeah. uh, salary structure to, to do it. Um, anyway, uh, within a matter of days after that, uh, I had a phone call from... Uh, oh, I came back. I came back. I've been, I've been to London, I think, to... A meeting with a headhunter or something. And I came back from London quite late. My then wife had gone to bed. And by the phone, there was a handwritten message saying, uh, ring this number. Oh, blimey. There was, a, there was a Greek shipping magnate around that time. Onassis. Onassis. 
Somebody called Onassis rang you. Onassis. <laughs> well, it turned out it was Stylianidis. Right. Myron Stylianidis. And she, she went, I think she asked him probably two or three times to, to spell it. And yeah. all she got was Onassis. So um, it was a guy called Myron Stylianidis. And uh, I rang him the following day. And it turned out he was the new director of personnel and administration at DeLorean. Right. And somehow or other, um, my name had come to his attention. And he asked me, would I like to go to, over to Belfast to meet John DeLorean? Well, I'd read all about the thing, of course. Yeah. yeah. The papers have been full of it. For and you'd heard of months. John DeLorean? I knew, I knew of him. And yeah, I, 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 read, I read automotive news uh, out of Detroit, uh, the... You know, the international um, magazine, week, weekly newspaper of uh, the auto industry, uh, read it every week. So, yeah, I was aware of the project. I knew he was, he got his car, I'd seen pictures of it. And, you know, former vice president of General Motors, you don't turn down an opportunity. I wasn't in the slightest interested in working for them. Because? Because I, in, inevitably, it would mean a relocation to Northern Ireland. And one or two things were going on in Northern Ireland <laughs> as an Englishman, you know. Um, and I, I got, those two girls were teenagers yep. at the time, young young teenagers. And um, uh, there was no way I was going to take them to well, Northern Ireland. Because so I would have been about eight or nine then. Mm-hmm. And every day on the TV, oh, yeah. it, there was two, effectively, yeah. I remember growing up with two wars. There was whatever was going on in Lebanon, yeah. Beirut, and Northern that's, Ireland. That's right, Northern yeah. Ireland, yeah. And yeah. obviously your view of it, because yeah. you're only watching the news. I've never been to Northern Ireland before. No. no. Um, never been to Northern Ireland. I've been to the South. I've been to the Republic. I'd had a wonderful holiday there years before, before they, all the girls were born. Um, but So you had no so desire I, to go? I just intrigued. I just intrigued. I wanted to go over. I, went, I met him. He immediately offered me the job of director of purchasing. Uh, really? Yeah. Did you you had a cup of tea first? You must have. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, yeah. Cup right. of coffee, I think. Don't, oh. I don't think John drank tea. Um, he's an American. Um, yeah, we had a cup of coffee and a chat. Uh, and you know, when we before we broke up, he 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 offered me the job of director of purchasing. And uh, wow, I was I was a bit mixed about that because I'd gone into general management and I wasn't terribly keen about the prospect of going back to my original skill if you like you yes know? yeah yeah because you were trying it to find the... like a step backwards yeah. i wanted a managing director's job yeah i knew i knew that he got somebody in mind as a managing director because that was made clear to me uh and i thought as a non-american i uh, i doubted i'd get offered that job anyway which i wasn't and um so i said no um <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. It's very kind of you. I'm flattered. But I said no, and I came back. And then the following day, I got a phone call from uh, Myron again, saying, uh, "John, John really wants you." He said, "What if we up the salary by X thousand a year?" And I said, "Look, Myron, it, it, it's not salary. You know, it's not the money. It's um, yeah. I, I just don't want to bring my family across Northern Ireland." So he said, "Okay, I'll report back." And then. Um, about a few days later, I got a call, Les Myron, on the phone again. He said, uh, John would like you to come across because he's um, he thinks he's got a solution. 
So I said, okay, I'll come over. You know, the pain my expenses to travel. I got, I'm, I'm between jobs, so I've got nothing else to do yeah. anyway. I'm still waiting for Lotus to stop screwing about. Um, and uh, I'm still waiting for Aston Martin as well, for that matter. They were supposed to be confirming my role as managing director there. Um, anyway, uh, I went across, and this time... Um, it wasn't just John. I was invited to, to get over in time for lunch. So I, right. I got there, and it wasn't just John. It was Christina. Oh, that's <laughs> clever. <laughs> One of the prettiest women on the planet. Well, you know, America's top model at the time. Yes. Yeah, so it was John and Christina. Christina didn't say a lot. She just kept looking at me. And um, anyway, we had lunch, <clears throat> and it came... Uh, it came to the end of lunch and uh, John reached into his inside pocket and he pulled out a, a, a map of the UK. Right. And he laid it down so that the map was facing me, you see, and John's there and Christina's there. Three, yeah. of, us, three of us around the table and he said, uh, so tell me Barry, uh, where, where, remind me, where do you live? I said, well, I, I, I live just outside Coventry, John, you know. He said, where's that? Where's that? On the map. And I said, yes. I said, it's there, right in the middle. You know, Coventry. Birmingham's there and Coventry's there. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, he said. Where's, um, where's Lotus based? I said, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's in what's called East Anglia. <coughs> See this lump sticking out side on the right-hand side of the map, my, my right-hand side of the map, Norwich is up to the north, and Hethel is a small place just outside. Oh, I said, okay, right, right, okay. Um, and he said, where's, uh, where's Belfast? And I said, well... <laughs> he he clearly that? knows. Of course he did. Yeah. It's a game. I said, well, there's a big <clears throat> island here. <laughs> that's called Ireland. And then that bit up on the northeast corner, that's Northern Ireland, and Belfast there, look. He said, oh, he said, look, he said... If you draw a straight line across from Belfast to Norwich, Coventry's halfway. Put your purchasing department there. And I'll no look, way. I'll the salary again. <laughs> so I, he, said, so he, I said, OK, I'll do it. He wanted you. <laughs> he wanted me, yeah, fortunately, yeah. And what made you so special? I think I was probably the only Englishman stupid enough to say yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what. I think. But I think you must John, have. You must have bought something to the game. Well, I, well. Um, I mean, I, I got a very strong background in purchasing. Um, you know, I was taught it at Jaguar, which was you know, a brilliant education hmm. in purchasing, and I'd I'd risen to uh, chief buyer there. Um, one of two chief buyers there. By the time I was twenty. Seven. Wow. 26, 27. Um, and then uh, I moved to Reliant as director of supplies, which included purchasing. Yeah. Um, I was appointed to the board of Reliant Motor Company when I was 20, well, I was 30, 31. And um, by the time I was 34, I was deputy managing director. And I was clearly destined for the the top job yeah um when we had this unfortunate change of ownership and i found and myself you got squeezed out from, well the managing director and i you know, both resigned you said something there it's just made my brain go off so 
Rob, so J- Jaguar Land Rover. No, 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 no. Um, Not well, Land Rover. Well, Jag- Jaguar Cars. Jaguar Cars. Browns Lane, Orsley, okay. Coventry, Jaguar. England. As I can see, we are surrounded <laughs> by pictures in your home of Jaguars. So Jaguar, that was the car for Inspector Morse. You then worked in Robert Reliant, which was the car for Robin Delbron. Robert Reliant? Or the Reliant like car, the, the free freewheeler. That's Del Boy's car. I've, DeLorean yes. is Back to the Future. Yes. Uh, any other iconic film tie-ins with your career? Because that's free, reasonably, yes, from an uh, English yeah, point yeah, of view. Yeah. That is... Uh, yes, I don't think John thought about that, though. I don't think he was even aware. He knew we made, we made three-wheelers. In fact, during the time I worked for John, he wanted to buy Reliant. So Reliant effectively came for sale again. Right. Uh, I can't remember whether it had gone bust or what, but no, it, it hadn't gone bust. But I knew it was heading that way because the owners were just clueless. Because in the documentary, I, I was, talked him out of it. You talked him out of buying Reliant? Of course I did, yeah. Because? I went in madness. Why? Because it was a heap of. <laughs> By the time it was, it was. A I heap taught of... Malcolm Bricklin out of buying it as well. You heard of Malcolm Bricklin? No. The Bricklin sports car? No. Oh God! What TV show was that in? The Bricklin wasn't in any TV oh, show. Oh, Okay, maybe. is that why? You... But it was Gullwinged. It was Gullwing. Right, okay. Two door Gullwing sports car with a front mounted engine, I think. Uh, but I worked for Malcolm down, and he was another cat larger than life character. Um, uh, unlike John, he had no background in the auto industry as a manufacturer, but he'd made his mate his first money out of importing Subaru into the USA. Right, Originally, okay. Subaru scooters, then he went on to cars, and he made such a success of it that um, uh, Subaru bought the company back from him because he, he created this Subaru wow. of North America with his own money. And uh, they bought the company back. They made millions out of that. And then he took Hugo into the United States. I remember Hugo when yeah, I was a kid. He, yeah, he was yeah, taking, yeah. He was taking, oh, 100,000 a year, Hugo's. Wow. He had a wonderful deal with the Yugoslavians, as it was then. It was Yugoslavia, of course. Um, he was buying, buying them at about $1,000 each uh, with uh, six months extended credit. So he wasn't paying for them for six months. Um, flogging them on. Flogging them on for about 3700 Obviously, the dealer had to cut out of that. Yeah. But uh, he would make probably a clear $1,000 out of each car. So he did pretty well out of Yugo. And down. then he thought he could do it again with um, Proton, the Malaysian car yeah. manufacturer. And that's what I was hired for. He got down to Malaysia and found out pretty quickly that uh, the cars were too expensive to make. Um, to cut what? To cut a decent profit? Yeah. He couldn't, yeah, okay. he couldn't yeah, get yeah. anywhere near doing the sort of deal he got with. Right. So he, he needed to take money out of the cars. And I'd got quite a reputation by then for cost reduction. Yeah. And I was, again, found uh, by a guy, by this guy, actually, Carl Ludwigson. Right. Um, 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 He's a very, quite a, a well-known author of um, car books. Right. He worked in the industry for a short period for Ford. Um, and Carl uh, found me and took me down to Indonesia, uh, took me down to Malaysia. And we did a major cost reduction exercise, but um, for lots of complicated reasons, uh, that 
didn't happen. But it introduced me to Southeast Asia. And um, that's what took me to Indonesia and I worked in Taiwan and... Uh, um, What's your favourite country to work in Indonesia. so far? Indonesia. Why? That's a funny fact. I just love it. I just love it. I, I just love it. That's one of the few countries I've never been no, to. No, it's great. Well, it's the third largest population on earth. So it's about time you did. Well, that's a good... <laughs> yeah. That's a good reason to... There's a lot of people there. That's Go a, there. They must uh, be know, doing the right overtook, thing. Uh, it overtook the USSR when it, uh, when it, uh, when it broke up. So there's, there's, they got more people than Russia. Um, and it's uh, China, USA, Indonesia. Okay, and they've got the largest Muslim population yeah. on the planet as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. well, they've got a good split that's of religions Australia, as well. That's why Australia spends a lot of money yeah. looking after them with aid, and that's why it was the Australian government that took me back two years ago to work there right, as part okay. of an aid programme. They like to keep the Indonesian sweet. Okay. And, Very sensible. And yeah. Barry Wills is one of the reasons they well, keep they, them they, sweet. I, yeah. I was found on... Uh, I, I said to them, how the hell did you find me? Um, they said, is that easy? He said, we went into LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn. I went on LinkedIn to sell books. He went into LinkedIn and we typed in two words. Automotive Indonesia. And out I popped. And your number one search. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that must be flattering for your ego. Just very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah. I like the wry smile that's popped on your <laughs> face there. No, terrific, because, um, I mean, they looked after me extremely well. I, 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 I insisted at my age I'd got to be flown down a business class, which they did. They put me into a five-star hotel. Ironically, it was the first hotel that I stayed at in Jakarta, the very first time I visited, so right. it, was a, it was a real nostalgic trip back. And one of the one of the nicest things about that exercise is that when I'd originally worked down there, I had a team of about nineteen guys working with me um, because we were given the task of reviewing the entire automotive sector in Indonesia. Wow. Which was dominated by the Japanese. Yeah. Every every one of the Japanese car manufacturers were down there in joint ventures. And they were building then um over half a million cars a year. Vehicles a year. For the yeah. Indonesian market. For the Indonesian or market. Or for shipping yeah. abroad. No, no, no. For the Indonesian market. Wow. They the, the they built um, they built pickup trucks in the main. They were they were vehicles that the Japanese are very clever as always. Uh, the Japanese were making pickup trucks down there, um, which were then being converted by this huge sort of um, uh, almost village industry of bodybuilders scattered all over the archipelago of Indonesia. Yeah, God knows how many islands there are. I used to know off by heart, right, but yeah. it's in the thousands of yes. islands. And it stretches, you know, like a banana right across the top of Australia. Um, and all these bodybuilders were putting bodies on the pickup trucks and turned them into people carriers. The for earliest taxis. people carriers. No, 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 for families. Oh, they'd get, oh, they'd right. get the goat, they'd get the dog, they'd get the grannies, they'd get the lot in there. And that's how they were transporting around. The people, the people carrier was virtually invented in Indonesia. The first one was wow. called the Kijang. Kijang was a pickup truck designed specifically by Toyota 
for Indonesia, and that became the foundation of the auto industry in Indonesia. Every day, and they're now struggle. they're now about to overtake the UK in the number of cars they build. Well, they were before the pandemic. They're making over a million vehicles now. Uh, it's a great success. Anyway, the nicest thing. This is what I was building up to. We'd met. We'd met all these companies, and I think there were about. 20 we didn't go we, we went into a couple of two or three of the bodybuilders the larger bodybuilders but we spent most of the time with the car manufacturers or the vehicle manufacturers as i should say and the major component suppliers because they've got quite a component industry yeah. supporting it and um we sat three of us sat down one night took my two trusted most trusted guys and i sat down with a beer one night towards the end of the project and we were talking about some of the people we'd met. And we were talking particularly about the young Indonesians we'd met. And there were three young guys who we decided between us uh, that evening. This is like 1989. Yeah. We thought these three were going to go to the top. Yeah. They were really stars. You know, they were going to make it. They hadn't got, they hadn't got senior jobs. They got quite junior. But they had jobs, potential. But they had real potential. Yeah. When I got down there again in 2000 and, what was it, 2018, 2017, 18, whatever it was, these three guys were nearly, re- two, two were near retirement. Right. Shows how different. Um, one was still working. They'd all got to the top. One had, had got to the top of the Toyota company. Another had got to the top of the Suzuki company. And the third was actually still working. He was running the Hyundai-related company and the Mercedes-Benz-related company. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So you could, you, you could spot the talent. We'd, we'd, we'd got it absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it was lovely to meet them again, met each one of them again. You said in a, in one of the films I saw you in, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen about three or four of them now, you said John DeLorean was the, was it the, the smartest guy you'd ever met? Yeah, still is. Still is. You met Wills from the Wills Tobacco family, who who had more millionaires. No, I only met him for about three minutes in his family I than only anyone met else. Him for three minutes. <laughs> I spent a bit more time with John. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm talking automotive. I'm talking the automotive industry. I mean, I've I've met an awful lot of people in the auto industry, many of which you know got to very senior positions. Uh, the one guy that. Uh, I cannot really compare John with is my all-time hero, which is Sir William Lyons, the founder of Jaguar. You know who was right. You know, no, I've uh, no, I know as you know, I know nothing of cars. Shame on you! Shame Did on you. you! Well, because my dad was in the car game, so as yeah. an act of rebellion, uh, well, yeah, I'm out. Go, yeah. Anyway, Sir William Lyons was the or Bill Lyons as he started as was the founder of Jaguar. He took it from a. The company he founded, which was a manufacturer of motorcycle sidecars in Blackpool, right to uh, Jaguar Cars Limited, um, manufacturer of you know superb uh, cars um, that went then had, by that time had, uh, were building buses uh, because he'd acquired Daimler. He was building trucks because he'd acquired um, Guy Motors in Wolverhampton, and he was building uh, fork trucks. Because he had bought Cobbry Climax, uh, who were also making racing engines, of course, Formula One racing right, engines. Right, okay. So he got this massive empire that he built of nothing. And uh, my only contact with uh, Sir William Lyons was um, 
when I got my very first office, of which I was very proud. I was working as <laughs> personal assistant to the group purchasing director of Jaguar, a guy called John Macmillan, from whom I learnt an enormous amount. And uh, Macmillan put me in this broom cupboard at the bottom of the stairs, going up to the executive offices where he was and where Sir William's office was. Right. So every morning through the frosted glass, uh, having arrived at 8.30, which one did in those days, yeah. uh, at 9 o'clock precisely, I'd see Sir William come through the showroom area door, pass my office, do a quick Yui and sprint up the stairs every morning at 9 o'clock because he owned the place, so he's allowed to come in half an hour later. Seems fair. Seems fair to me. Anyway, just one morning, where suddenly I'm sitting with my head down at the desk. For whatever reason, I didn't see him open the, the uh, door from the reception and do with the Yui. Uh, my office door opens, and they're filling the aperture in his beautiful, sharp, dark blue suit. Always wore a dark blue suit. White shirt with a grey tie, uh, horn rim glasses, beautifully slicked back, silver hair, stood the old man, Sir William Lyons, in the doorway of my office. I sat there open-mouthed, and he said to me the immortal words that I will carry to my grave. And he spoke to me personally and said, would you mind turning the lights off before you go home, young man? <laughs> closed the door and ran up the stairs. <laughs> it was the bloody cleaners that left the lights on, not me. After I'd gone, I switched the lights off. The cleaners had put them on again and I'll forget them. Of course, he didn't finish till about eight o'clock. Um, yeah, <laughs> but he spoke to me. Sir William, my hero, actually spoke to me. So, but I didn't get to know. Uh, that That was the limit of my exposure right, that, to but that was it. Lions, But yeah. you got to know John DeLorean a bit, I'm guessing, then. Oh, yeah, I know John as well. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Would you go, so would you go, I'm, I'm trying to think of the time. So when I first started work sort of in, for large corporates, I was mm. about 19. So mm. that would have been well, 1990. I met John in October of 78. Uh, I started work within three weeks of meeting him. Right. Started working about the 23rd or 24th of October. I, I oh, <laughs> I said yes to the third offer on one condition. I hadn't met the managing director that I was going to work for, right? Yeah. So I said to John, I'll take the job, but I understand you appointed a managing director. He said, yes, he's starting on October the 24th or whatever it was. Yeah. said, okay, I'll arrive on the same day. If I feel comfortable with him, I'll stay and I'll continue working. If I don't feel comfortable for, with him, I'll buy my own ticket and I'll go home again. Right, because we started in Belfast, because by that time we hadn't got an office in Coventry. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, fortunately, um, I got on like a house on fire with the, the guy I was going to work for, a guy called right. Charles Bennington, who was absolutely brilliant. So Chuck, as he became, Chuck and I got on like a house on fire and uh, I did stay. And would you go... So when I first so, started work... Yeah, go we, on. We... Um, the pub culture at lunchtime was just coming to an end, as was smoking in the offices. John didn't smoke. John so, didn't drink. 
I was going to say, so did you go? Did you ever no, go down no. a pub with him? No, no, What, no, what no, sort no. of relationship did you no, have with him? No, it wasn't that sort of relationship at all. So um, it was purely professional well, well, and yes, like-minded. Yes, purely professional. And, of course, you know, one has to remember that I wasn't reporting directly to him anyway. No, you And you I, I observed the, uh, the proper aspect of... I reported to Charles Bennington. Bennington reported to DeLorean. And I was therefore one removed... Yes, and the okay. relationship stayed that way. Although there were occasions when I was asked to go over to New York, uh, which is where John was. John was rarely in Belfast, right? Very rarely in Belfast. He, he let Bennington get on with the job, which was one of the reasons why it got done. Because um, Bennington was a doer then. But Bennington was a was a doer, right? Like me. Yes. Why, why we got on so well together? We yeah, were yeah. both doers. We were both. Mavericks, John right. was a maverick, right? Okay, well. so we just got on with it, and getting on with it was one of the reasons why one one person in particular, I won't name, um, did not. Um, it was too conservative for the team, and therefore okay. did not become part of it, and uh, tended to snipe from the sides rather than participate. And that's because you had that just do it attitude, yeah. and you got it yeah. done. Yeah, he came from a, a far more conservative background in the industry, yeah, okay. and uh, um, he, he just couldn't get to grips with the fact that uh, we had to not cut corners. He thought we cut corners. We didn't cut corners. We invented things. We invented. <laughs> we invented what the industry now operates as a standard. Yeah, which is called simultaneous engineering. Right. Yeah. Simultaneous engineering is where. Virtually, as soon as you, as soon as the engineers have got to the point where the component that they want to produce for the car is recognisable enough, yes, to allow supplier selection through competitive means, yep. right? Um, that's when the purchasing guys get on with it and find a supplier, find the most competitive supplier, and that competitive supplier then works with as it. Turned out in our case, Lotus yes, they were who'd the been hired to engineer the car yeah. um, to get the part done, and it gets done much more quickly right. than it ever would if it went through the normal process of the engineer spending forever completing a drawing down to every you know uh, hold and uh, yeah, yeah. slot and everything else. So they would have and, work then, hand and in then you hand it over to the purchasing guys. Yeah. Then the purchasing guys take six weeks. Finding a supplier, competitive supplier. You know, what might in normal cases have taken seven months to do, we were doing in seven weeks. Because you got, so that plant got up and running and you were spitting cars out within about months. two years. 28 right? months. So hang on, what's 28 months? 12, 24, yeah. Two, two years and yeah, four two years months. and a bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were late. <laughs> yeah, we were late. We were late. John, John. <laughs> John promised the government it would take 18 months, which we knew was absolute nonsense, those of us that you know, were in the company by that time. But we worked out that we could do it in 24 months. But uh, sadly, uh, Lotus were not quite as quick as we were. And um, it was basically one element of, of the Lotus program that, that controlled the timing. And that was the release of the... Um, the master moulds for the inner body. The inner body yeah. was a, was made of reinforced plastic. It was made to a system that Lotus had 
partially developed, but never really made work. Uh, we made it work. We, not, not me. Yeah, but collectively. But yeah, yeah. The, the team the of group. Uh, yeah, yeah. competent engineers that were hired within DeLorean made it work. Um, and uh, it was the release of those master models that controlled the whole timing. And they were, they were four, effectively four months late. Right, okay, um, we slowed it up a we bit. We slowed it up, yeah. But uh, it, it's a record. It's a record that will, in my view, never be beaten. And this was before computer-aided design or anything like that. This, yeah, this was... Know, this guys with pencils. Yeah, and rulers. And, yeah, yeah. And, and rulers and... and yeah, yeah. That's right, on, on drawing boards. Yeah, yeah. And then, do you think... I'm, I'm trying to be respectful here of, of what you achieved, but there is the other side of it of... The DeLorean had a lot of issues, right? That motor. I mean, well, a lot you, of issues. You say that. Which issues did it have? Well, the complaints from the dealers. No. The, it, there weren't the any complaints. Cars from the were dealers. failing. There weren't any complaints from the dealers. No, 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 no. You've read too much of the British press. Possibly. Well, yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of documentaries You've read where too they. Much of yeah, the yeah. British press. No, look, the first 400 cars yeah. were not perfect. We knew it. Right. They were early cars. Uh, we were still, we were still turning Lotus. Lotus, I got a great amount of time for Lotus. No company could have done what Lotus did in the time that they did it. But Lotus were used to designing cars to be produced in tha- a thousand a year. Yes, maximum. Our cars had to be tooled to produce twenty thousand a year. That was yeah. the the aim. Ultimately, 30, maybe. The original designs from Lotus were not perfect. Right, yeah, yeah. So there, they had kinks. There were, there, were, there were changes that were being made constantly yeah. throughout the period of building the first cars. The first 400 cars had to be shipped because we needed the money. Right, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. If, if we hadn't have shipped those cars, we had to ship, we shipped those cars... First shipment went on Easter Day of 1981. Had those 400 cars, not those 400 cars, triggered the first payment from Bank right, of America, okay. so who they, were providing the yeah. financing for the cars between the plant and the dealers, right? So no matter We'd what... We'd have gone out of business in 1981. Yeah, so they had to go no matter what. They had what. to go. Yeah. But they went on an organised basis that the import company, which was another subsidiary of DeLorean, yeah, uh, run by a guy called Dick Brown, they had quality assurance centres at each of the three ports of entry, right? Yeah. Dick arranged for teams of people to be employed within those quality centres to basically take the cars, inspect them, and to rectify the faults or the shortcomings. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's what was done. The cars, by the time they got to the dealers, were pretty good. Right, okay. But pretty the, good. But the press under... But the British and- press, not the American press, the British press were against us from day one. Because... It started with a uh, politician, as it always does, yeah, uh, called Jock Bruce Gardine, MP, right, who also had a column in the Sunday Telegraph, 
Okay. Here Sunday we go. Telegraph, yeah, okay. Right? The Tory graph. Yeah. Okay. It was the Labour government that set DeLorean up. Yes. Okay. Um, Jock Brisgardine, when he died, uh, there was an obituary written by a fellow Tory by the name of Nigel Lawson. Yeah. Who had a beautiful daughter called Nigella. <laughs> you might have heard of or looked at. Anyway, <laughs> Nigel Lawson, when he wrote the obituary to uh, Jock Brisgardine, described him as the Thatcherite before Thatcher, who had a complete dislike <laughs> of the special relationship between the UK and the USA. So two factors there. One, he hated Americans. Yep. And secondly, he hated government intervention in creating... Yeah, okay. businesses just like Mrs. Thatcher did. Yes. Okay. So, from from day one, his column in the Sunday Telegraph was critical of everything relating to the DeLorean project. Yeah. Okay. All right. He actually stood in Parliament with the privilege of um, what do they call it? I think it's parliamentary privilege. Parliamentary. Yeah. yeah. That's right. He's the wrong words. He stood in Parliament using parliamentary privilege and described John DeLorean, who is probably the most classically dressed person I've ever met in my life. He is beautifully dressed, yeah. Superbly dressed. As wearing at home a T-shirt with the words, I am a con man, on the shirt. Now, you know, parliamentary privilege. But the press reported that. Right, okay. That went right across the British press. The British press were critical of the project from the day on. The British press, as you know, is, uh, uh, apart from the Mirror and the Guardian, you know, it's pretty right-wing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, we had a bad time with the British press. We didn't handle them well. We made a complete mess of one particular visit by uh, the uh, the editor of um, Motor magazine, I think it was. By the motor or auto car, a guy called Tony Curtis, not that one. No, not the one. Okay. Um, and um, Bennington made a mess of that. He kept him waiting for several hours. Um, several hours. Several hours for an interview. Yeah. He must yeah. have really pissed him off to well, keep him waiting him for off. seven yeah. hours. Yeah, we didn't do it deliberately. Um, it was, and he'd interviewed several others of us. He'd interviewed me. He'd interviewed right. other people, but it did. It did upset uh, Tony Curtis. So we got a bad time from um, Motor. And there were, there were only two magazines in those days, Motor and Autocar, you know? Yeah. Car magazine, I think, might have just about started, but it may have not, not even have existed at that time. So the British press were very cruel to us. Um, the American press were very favourable from Dale. Because the Americans... John was the epitome of what the American spirit is all about. John was the American dream. Exactly he was. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Was exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So America, the American press, particularly the Detroit press, were very, very supportive, albeit critical from time to time, but they were being critical on a fair basis, not on an unfair basis, which is the way that Bruce Gardine started the ball rolling in the, in the UK press. Do you think that's got anything to do with the class structure we have here doesn't you don't see that so much in America? Yeah, yeah. Although you do from a money point of view, but yeah. in here it's kind of inbred into well, our culture. This class. I remember. Structure. I remember David Niven. You remember David? Yeah, Niven? Yeah, yeah. The film star being interviewed 
once by Michael Parkinson. And Niven was a very English actor yeah. that had gone to Hollywood and made it big in Hollywood. But he'd retained his Britishness, you know? Yes. Some of the Pink Panther films, I find yeah, the yeah. original Pink Panther film he was in, and so on. And Parkinson was saying to him, how do you get on in, in America? He said, well, I loved it, you know, it was terrific. He said, well, what did you find there was, Parkinson said, what did you find was the major difference? He said, well, it's quite simple. He said, in England, the average man in England will watch someone drive a Rolls Royce down the street and park it. And he'll think, look at him, the bastard. What's he doing with that? Now, why should, why should he be driving that? In America, the average man will say, hey, look at that guy. Look at that car he's got. One of these days, I'm going to have one of those. Hey, absolutely. Yeah, I don't, yeah. That's the difference, isn't it? And yeah, very. I, I, I'm sad to say it. But I've spent enough time in America in my life yeah. and worked amongst Americans to know that Niven got it absolutely right. That is the difference between us. Yeah, we're envious of uh, we're envious of success. We're envious of we everything. People, we build people up to knock them down. It's all poppy syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Every single yeah, time. Absolutely. Um, do you think if DeLorean hadn't have crashed as a as an organisation, do you think you would have stayed working for them? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I was going to save them. <laughs> I got a, you know, during the um, during the receivership uh, with Charles Bennington and I and a third man called Bill Bellamy, we'd, who'd, we'd created a, a joint venture trim company to make all the, the seats and all the soft trim for the okay. car with a, a company out of Northampton called Chamberlain Phipps. And Bill was the director of Chamberlain Phipps, a lovely man, ex-military. Major Bellamy, and um, he was chairman of the joint venture trim company. I was a non-executive director of it, as was Bennington. So we got to know each other particularly well. When it came to the receivership, the three of us worked out a plan whereby we went to British Leyland, yep. who had uh, recently canned the Triumph TR7, and particularly the TR8, Wow. Soft top. And uh, anyway, cut a long story short, we reached an agreement with them whereby we could take over manufacture of the TR8, who wanted in particular. In Belfast? Yeah. Oh, superb. So you'd save all of those jobs? Yeah. Plus the DeLorean. We put the two cars side by side. Oh, wow. We didn't compete. You know, DeLorean was a Goldwing door fixed head. The TR8 was a soft top. Yeah. Um, and... Um, there were two problems. One was that we had no... Uh, it was a steel body with... Uh, the TR was a steel body painted. We had no body assembly capability. Okay. We had no paint shop. We found a way around that. Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, had just entered the EU, way ahead of us, of course. Right. And as a result, we're having to phase out their assembly plants because they assembly they assemble all sorts of cars in Ireland um, to protect the country from imports, right? And right. obviously create jobs. But they were having to get rid of those because you know they couldn't protect any longer. Yeah, yeah. You know, it had to be free free trade. So there was a Nissan assembly plant in Dublin, 
with a superb Nissan st standard paint plant where the same company that was also in the Republic of Ireland, a German company called August Leppler, who made the stainless steel body panels for the DeLorean, yeah. they would take over the dies from which the stamp, the Triumph panels. Yeah, yeah. Those panels would be shipped to the Nissan plant where they had all the equipment and the welding guns and everything to weld the body and they had the superb paint plant to paint it. Those painted bodies would then be put on a train, where the direct line from Dublin to Belfast... Perfect. The government in Northern Ireland were prepared to build it. The railway line went by the side of the plant. Yeah. Every photograph you look at the drawing plant, you can see the railway line there. The government were going to put a siding in so that the trains could go straight onto the plant and we could unload the painted bodies there. And the, the TRA would be built alongside the DeLorean. We weren't allowed to use the Triumph name. We weren't allowed to use the TR name. So we did a deal with the Healy family, as in Austin Healy, yeah. to take the Healy name. We would have been building the Healy 3,500, not the Healy 3,000, the Healy 3,500, which would have been the TR8, right, and the Healy Gullwing. Wow, and why didn't why didn't you say what went wrong that you didn't save it? You haven't read my book, have you? It's forty five quid, Barry. <laughs> no, I haven't read your book. The other, the, 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 well, there's two books. Which one? I only heard about you about a week and a half ago. Well, Hang the on. other book, the other book's only thirty, uh, twenty five quid. Um, <laughs> there's forty left. I'll sell you one. I've got stock here. There's only you, 20 left. You clearly are a Wills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make sure. Anyway, no. Uh, well, uh, we had... We were known in the press, and the receiver, Kenneth Cork, had created this name. We were called the UK Consortium. The right. three of us were known as the UK Consortium. I was... I was running what was left in Dunmurray at that time. Yeah. Okay. During the receivership for the receivers. I was very careful to ensure that John didn't know what I was up to because John was trying to raise funds in America. Sure. To save the company. So effectively, we were in competition, right? Well, he was going about it a slightly different way to you. Well, it yeah. turned out. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't set out to do that. No, I'm sure he didn't, movie, actually. You know? um, anyway. Uh, I was reluctant to declare I was involved. So um, we were doing it through the receivers who were in touch with James Pryor, who was the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, became right. Lord Pryor. Um, and he, of course, was the link with government, yep. with Thatcher by then. Um, we had effectively got commitment for the, I think it was £12 million we were going for. It's all in the book. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll publish notes to your book in, in the show. Yeah. Um, we had got the money effectively promised by Hill Samuel, who were one of the leading merchant banks in the City of London at that time, right. supported by... Uh, an organisation called Finance for Industry, or 3I, they became. Yeah. 
Remember, yeah, I still, do. still known as 3i. They were called Financial Industry there in those days. And the two of them were going to lead the investment that they were comfortable they could raise from other, other smaller yeah. banks, right? So the money was pretty well assured. Um, we hadn't got much money ourselves. We could, you know, we could, um, I could put, take out a second mortgage on my house, which was probably in those days worth about 8,000 quid, yeah. you know? Um, but that wasn't going to do much. Do <laughs> um, Hill Samuel, who were leading the investment, needed, as was always the case, not just in our case, always the case, they needed a fee to ensure that they, when they put the effort in, they got paid. Yes. Right? They got paid. Quite reasonable. It's the way the City of London works. Yeah, it was business. They, we said to them, how much do you want? How much do you need? Well, the answer was, we're not quite sure. Because we don't know whether you are three guys working on your own, whether you are representing the receivers, right, as DeLorean Motor Company, or whether you are a much larger corporation, because we've got three levels of uh, fee, depending upon our assessment right, of okay. your worth, yeah. you see. And we said, okay, so what's the range? He said, well, it's... Anything between twenty thousand to a maximum of eighty thousand pounds. So we said, oh, Christ, I don't think we can get twenty grand between us, can we? Well, we could, yeah, if, yeah. if we'd remortgaged our houses, you know. But we, that was a bit drastic. So anyway, Cork said, "Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, guys. I'll look after that." He said, "I'll get the Northern Ireland office to guarantee Hill Samuel's fee." Cool. Right to the. Maximum of £80,000. Terrific. Thank you, Sir Kenneth. So, Sir Kenneth went off, spoke to James Pryor, and Pryor agreed to that procedure. Because that was pennies compared to the amount of jobs to save. Peanuts. Absolute peanuts. So, Pryor, Pryor was not one of us. Remember that term? Yeah. One of us. PLU, we used to say. People like us. Similar. Yeah. Anyway, he Who had that mindset yes. of get it done, get it done. Get yeah, it but done. he wasn't, no, no, he wasn't one of us to Thatcher. Right, okay, all right. That's why he got the Northern Ireland job. That was I'm the, with you. That was yeah, the okay. poison Sorry. chalice was Northern Ireland. Yeah, okay? yeah. So Thatcher was not one of her favourites. He was outside the frame. So Pryor decided in his infinite wisdom, which turned out to be the biggest mistake he, he made to check out with Thatcher that that it was okay to guarantee that eighty thousand quid maximum, right? There was never a formal meeting. I think he caught up with her in the corridor. So I checked back with yeah, yeah. Pryor. I went to see Pryor before I published my book. He went to see her in the corridor. He didn't get a formal meeting. It wasn't a cabinet decision or anything like that. And she wasn't listening. She heard Delorean and she heard. 80,000 quid, and she turned around to him and said, Jim, I've told you before, there will be no more money. Tell the receivers to do their job. Wow. Walked away. That was the end of it. Now, unfortunately, Cork then said to us, look, he said, I've got an agreement with John DeLorean that if you guys don't do the deal, by the end of this month, which was July of 81, I've got to give him a second opportunity. Right. I've signed it. Okay. 
So he said, don't worry, he'll fail. There's no way John DeLorean will raise the money. He'll fail. You stand back. That was his words. You step back as a group. Step back. We're still anonymous in the press. We're still the UK consortium. You step back. I'll give John his chance. He will fail. When he fails, you can come back in again. And he said, I will help you find ways to yeah, raise yeah. the money. He said, I've got a friend called Robert Maxwell who might come <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, what, a web, what yeah. a web you got to yeah, tickle got, into oh, there, Barry. More, yeah. Anyway, I didn't make, meet Maxwell, but uh, yeah. You don't believe it. Anyway, of course, we did step back. That became public. We were still anonymous. Uh, John went on then to be the subject of an FBI sting. Yes. Was yeah. arrested. Um, the night before he was arrested, I was uh, still running things in uh, Dunmurray, Northern Ireland. Yeah. I got a phone call. Um, oh, I'd been up to that day. I'd been working on a plan to restart production with the wow. team that worked for me there because the receivers knew that John was about to get the money. Right? Yeah. They didn't know what was going on. Of course on they didn't. At that stage. But at about eight o'clock uh, that evening, I remember it ever so well. I was pretty knackered. I, hadn't, I decided I'm not going to cook. I was living in a small apartment um, on the same site as the factory in a house that we bought, that the British press have described anything from a, a mansion to a castle that John bought for himself with the government money, which it wasn't. It was just a house that was inherited right. on the site. Um, that we all we did was convert the one apartment, one set of rooms into an apartment that I, I was the third occupant of. It was the MD's house, MD's uh, lodging, so to speak. Anyway, I didn't want to cook. I went into Dunmurray <clears throat> and I bought myself Colonel Sanders, isn't it? KFC. KFC. Yeah. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky it was Fried Chicken, it was called in yeah. those days. I bought myself a box, a carton of Kentucky Fried Chicken, finger licking good. I took it back to the flat. I sat there eating this stuff. Um, I, I sat there and washed my fingers, switched the television on. The phone rang and it was the number two receiver, Paul Shule. And it Went something like this. I said, hello, Paul, how's it going? He said, Barry, he said, I've got uh, some bad news for you. I'm afraid it's all over. Tomorrow morning, I want you to call the uh, unions together and then the staff together and tell them that it's liquidation, we're closing, and uh, it's a case of everybody's going to be out of a job. I said, well, Paul, hang on a minute. You know, I've been working for the last several days trying to get... Yeah, uh, yeah. The place up and running again. Not nothing to do with our deal. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because John is raising the money on the basis that John's raising the money. He said, Barry, I can't tell you anymore. He said, Get on with your job. Put the phone down. Following morning, uh, I had a regular routine. Six uh, thirty in those days, the Today program started on Radio Four. I'd have a radio alarm. The alarm the radio would come on at six thirty. Yep. Good morning. This is John Timpson. This is the radio. This is the yeah, yeah. Today program. The headline news: the car magnate John DeLorean has been arrested in a hotel room in Los Angeles, charged with trading in cocaine. Wow! I woke up pretty quick, and 
And there was no internet then, right? You couldn't no. confirm no, that. No, 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 no. And then did you just go and get on with your job? I just and go got on with doing what and, they told me to do. I knew so, why. I knew why we were closing. Yeah, okay. And of course, it meant that, that there was so much stigma around that there was no question of us being given another chance. No. What we were promised, it would just get rid of it. Yeah. Thatcher just wanted to get rid of it. Get rid of this DeLorean thing, you know. Awful. So. Well, she was probably being leaned on. She knew. She knew knew John was going to be arrested. Yeah. And I think. Because of, weirdly, the special relationship. Special relationship. (laughs) She and Reagan. There are theories, the conspiracy theory is that Thatcher was party to creating the FBI sting. I don't believe that. Um, in my book, the reason we failed was cock-up, not conspiracy. Right. The cock-up of uh, her not listening to what Pryor was saying to her. Yeah, okay. Impatient woman, you know, get yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim, I'm too busy, you know. Dorian, tell the receivers to do their she job. She had so much going Shut on it. in her head, well, right? she yeah, just yeah. didn't want that. She, she hated the whole idea of uh, um, a Labour Party-funded... Um, Business, yeah, business yeah, yeah. that was a part, you know, government controlled. So, you were in Northern Ireland. Did you take your family there in the? No, end then? no, I didn't. Did you? No, so you did keep I, them. I in created Coventry. the office in Coventry. You did do that, right? But okay. I, I, I hired a guy. In fact, I brought a guy in called Nick Sutton, who'd been my number two at Reliant. Um, okay, pushed, so the old boys now manager at Reliant. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. why you did it. You yes, your, absolutely. You brought your best, yeah. best guys in with you. So Nick, uh, Nick ran the office in Coventry. Uh, Bennington, I got on so well with Bennington that effectively he kidnapped me and took yeah. me to Belfast. And okay. um, I was coming home at weekends and working the weekend with Nick. I'd, I'd meet Nick in the office in Coventry. Would, and would you class yourself as a workaholic then? Yes. Okay. That's why I've got two ex-wives. I was, <laughs> I was just going to say. Didn't change. Is that... It didn't change. Yeah, change. okay. Yeah, so eventually, I mean, I then spent the next uh, six months, I think, effectively closing it down progressively. And that was, I'm stating the obvious here, but that's heartbreaking, right? Uh, it's not pleasant. Uh, it's not pleasant. They got a job to do and the receivers were still paying. My, I was on a pretty good salary. But the receivers were still paying for me, my services. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you've, you know, Thirty three years after, well, the whole project lasted four and a half years by the time I, in my, in my terms. And, um, you know, you started in October with the green field, yeah. patch, and you built, you know, you and others, the team around you, are building a car plant and you're equipping it. And yeah. You're getting everything tooled for the components and the components start coming in. You start building cars and you know, you see the cars coming off the line. You see them getting on board ship. You see them launched in the states. You know, you are, from that work point of view, I, I know you can't see it because I'm wearing clothes. I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> just because. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a very emotional thing. Yeah, and very because you got it done so quick, yeah. and effectively, you got it done. And yeah, that's then you got to pull it all apart again. When yeah, you know, Be- when I when I left. Um, Every piece, every piece of equipment had been dismantled. They'd all got lot numbers on, you know, ready for the auction. Yeah. Uh, all the components to build the cars with had been shipped to uh, Ohio in the States, where 
all the cars, the remaining cars had gone as well. So there's like a parts business yeah. that had been sold. Um, plant was empty. I left two guys behind to help the auctioneers. Blimey. And what about the, um, just to take one step back, so when you were there during the Troubles, mm-hmm. so the, one of the documentaries I, I was watching, you said, yeah, you were in your office and the British Army had a sniper in your office. Well, I wouldn't say, there. I wouldn't call him a sniper. He was, oh, a, he was a Welsh fusilier who was frightened to death. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know why I put the, sniper the in the only, the only occasion that caused any problems uh, during the whole period we were in Northern Ireland was when, do you remember the hunger strikers? Yes, I do. Remember Bobby yeah. Sands? Yeah. Um, Bobby Sands was the first of the hunger strikers to die. Uh, he was the one that started it off. He was the leader of them. His family home was across the fence from us in the Catholic uh, housing estate mm. that was to the north of the site. To the south was the Protestant housing estate. And that's why we got a lot of flack from the British press because we had two doors into the plant, one for the Protestants, one for the Catholics. I, that wasn't the case. I was going to say, is that true? Well, we had to have two gates, didn't we, each end, because oh, yeah, I what guess are they so. going to do? Yeah. They're going to walk all the way around <laughs> the whole plant. It's ridiculous, isn't it? No, that is. Yeah, that yeah, makes complete so, sense. Yes, there were, but we didn't build, we didn't have signs saying Protestants and Catholics at the other yeah, side. Okay. That's just the way it was. It was, the, it was just the, the way the whole geography of the, of yeah, the yeah. area was. Anyway, and was um, there tension in the plant? None at all, none whatsoever. Protestant and Catholic were working alongside each other. You knew exactly who who was because of the surnames most of the time. Yeah, okay. Because all the Protestants yeah, yeah. have got Scottish names, and all the Catholics have got Irish names. Yeah, okay. Dead simple right. to follow. You know, general rule. But, and they were working side by side. They were working work, side by right? side. Not a problem at all. But because when, they wanted to work, they wanted to feed they their families. The jobs. Hey. There was a, there was more than fifty percent unemployment amongst the Catholic workforce yeah. in the Belfast area in those days. Yeah, Harland, the two big employers were Harland and Wolf building ships, and Short Brothers building planes. They had a virtual one hundred percent Protestant workforce. But both companies. Both companies. Yeah, both companies. Oh wow! That's why we were put where placed where we were. That's why the location of Dunmurray between these two. Warring factions. So it was set up as a unity project, yeah, basically. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was the whole the whole reasoning behind the uh, Labour government's investment was to find a way to employ people, and primarily employ some Roman Catholics, to provide them with jobs. Because in the absence of jobs, what do they do? What are they doing? Of course they do. They... Why the hell haven't we got jobs? Yeah. Let's do something about it. And they get frustrated. And then the other lot say, yeah. "Look at that lot doing this. Let's do it to them." Yeah, absolutely. You know? That was yeah, basically yeah. what it was all about. It was it was well thought through. I think Roy Mason, who was the Minister of State for Northern Ireland at the time, was a very brave man to do what he did. Anyway, uh, when Bobby Sands died, his body was taken back to his mother's home. Across yes. the fence. Yeah. Okay. Now we'd all gone home uh, by that time. I mean, I, I used to work pretty late till about eight o'clock. Uh, we'd all gone back. I, I was living in a hotel. Did, when you left, did you turn out the lights? I I I, I can't. I think I left the lights on. <laughs> I left the lights on for the cleaners. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Um, <laughs> and um, 
Anyway, during the early hours, uh, there was rioting on the Twinbrook Estate, it was called. Twinbrook Estate. The army moved in with a sort of pincer movement, and purely by accident, they drove, drove the rioters towards the, our site. Right. They broke down. We had two fences, an outer fence and an inner fence, again, for obvious reasons. Yeah. They broke through the outer fence, got to the inner fence. Once they got to the inner fence, it was dead easy to lob petrol bombs onto the flat roof of a temporary office building. You know what you have on building sites? Yeah. You know, temporary, like all linked up. Yeah, prefabricated, yeah, yeah, yeah. linked up offices that housed about, I don't know, 150 people and all their records and stuff. Yeah, and it all took. Uh, filing cabinets and yeah. the, the whole lot went. And yeah. when we went in the following morning, I think I had a phone call. Went in the following morning, you know, it was just a mess, just an absolute mess. And um, it was the, I can remember the scene, a lot of got, the word had got round, of course, the locality pretty quickly and the people, that, the management team that got, that lived locally got in quite early before me. And I was watching grown men in tears, you know, trying to yeah. work, work the way through the, the mess, trying to find their records that, They'd spent 18 months building. And you know, creating and creating engineering. And, and, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. yeah. Lost everything. Anyway, we recovered. We got over it pretty quickly and uh, got and on. You bounced back because you were... that's the only time. Uh, there were two, a couple of days after that when... Um, oh, yeah, uh, the army. Uh, what happened was that day, the army moved onto the site, basically to protect us. Right. And that's why um, my office and a couple of others on the top floor of of the office, the permanent office block, uh, with the inherited, any building we inherited, uh, the, the windows faced the housing estate. So we were advised by the army commander to move our desks around so our backs weren't facing the windows. <laughs> and then we had, for a couple of days, I had a, a soldier with his gun pointing out the window. And did you tell your missus of the time this? Did, did well, you um, I didn't, no. But there was a, one amusing occasion, I think it was on the second night, that uh, evening, the soldiers had gone home by now because they, they, they observed different hours to us. Oh, but they're like coronavirus. They stopped <laughs> at a certain time. That's right, they, they're, they're, they're certain... knocked off at about six. <laughs> anyway, um, my wife's in Coventry, or near Coventry, and... Um, two girls by now at secondary school and they got homework. So my wife rang me to say, uh, to talk about the maths homework that my daughter had got. She couldn't, she couldn't work out what the answers were. So she was trying to, she needed help from me. So I'm standing, uh, looking out the window with, uh, on the phone and trying to work out a, you know, an equation or something and doing my best with it. And, um, my car was parked, a company car was parked below the window. And uh, I suddenly noticed a, a Molotov cocktail <laughs> come hurtling across, land about uh, six foot from my car and burst into flames on the ground. And I had to say, uh, um, sorry, uh, uh, Julia, <laughs> uh, you'll have to excuse me. The, uh, there's something I need to attend to in the car park. <laughs> That's as close as I came to declaring what was going on. Yeah, because she'd be terrified, right? Yeah, she wouldn't have been very happy with the whole thing. And, uh, yeah. did, and did you see, after DeLorean and his troubles, mm. um, 
Did you speak to him afterwards? So once he had been no. acquitted... No, and... I never saw... I saw John for the last time, um, the last major occasion. He came over in uh, just before Christmas of 81, when we had, we had a really big Christmas dinner party at the hotel across the road, the Conway. John came over for that, and it was a celebrationary thing because... Yeah. Everything was great at that stage, although it wasn't really, uh, because at the same time, in America, uh, the worst winter in uh, uh, living memory mm. was occurring. The country was, certainly the, the eastern part of the country, was basically closing down. Everybody was stopping buying anything. It started a, a major recession, and it was that recession that... that killed us yeah because that recession meant that people weren't buying anything never mind cars so yeah. cars were piling up um and uh, that's what killed us uh, but john uh, john must have been aware of that um at the time and we were the top management were because we went i remember going home from christmas uh, that year thinking hell we've got a problem in the new year and um We'd already decided that we we're going to have to go on short time working. Um, and I went away to develop a plan with Nick Sutton's help, the guy around the Coventry office, yeah, yeah. how we would basically go around all the suppliers and say, look, this is the situation. We're going to go work to with short us. time working. Will you work with us? And they all, as a body, agreed. They were so, the suppliers were so supportive. We went out of our way to develop a very, very strong loyal supplier base and that's what they became worldwide and uh, yeah there wasn't one single supplier that uh, uh, didn't support us and even when it came to the receivership um, the suppliers the the supplier group knew who the UK consortium was right okay right and it was in their interest that you got and, back and up and running exactly they were all was. yeah they were all totally supportive of our efforts and the one guy a guy called John Putt who became the natural sort of leader of the supplier group, um, was taken into our confidence. He knew exactly what was going on. And John was almost the fourth man. There were the three of us, me, yeah, Chuck okay. and Bill, and then John Putton. The four of us were working very, very hard. Putt became the interface, actually, between us and um, Jim Pryor. He got a direct, direct line to Jim Pryor. Uh, towards the end, yeah. And how much did the the crash of Delores? How much did that affect your career then? Well, it didn't affect it at all, actually, because I'd had a job. <laughs> I'd had a job offer uh, in readiness um, during the receivership. Um, I was introduced to a guy called Clive Sinclair. Uh, oh wow! And uh, do you think they're going to make a film of your life? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and. Uh, I was introduced to Clive through a mutual friend called Tom Caron. Tom Caron was uh, Tom Caron OBE about time. Also, 94 years, years of age now. And he was 92 before he got his OBE. Tom was the guy who designed um, the Rally Chopper. Yep. The uh, Reliant Robin, the Bond Bug, the Scimitar GTE. Right. Uh, truck cabs for Leyland, buses and coaches galore. Uh, I knew Tom extremely well, and Tom had been working with Clive 
on ideas for a, a uh, electric vehicle. Yeah. And um, I effectively got, if everything went wrong, well, it, no, but things had gone wrong. Uh, yeah, we were well into the receivership, so yeah, yeah. I got I got a I got a job offer from Clive Sinclair, um, and that was to to, way ahead of its time, wasn't it? The C five far too ahead of its time. It was, yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> like thirty bloody years. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure it was really as I put in my second book uh, that covers the Sinclair C five amongst other things. Um, I'm not sure that the concept is even right today. But uh, it's closer today than it was in 1985. Well, the fact that sure. it was electric, right? The only other oh, yeah. electric vehicles electric were what? Vehicle, uh, yeah. Was the milk float? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the fir- it was the first genuine uh, commercial electric vehicle. Yeah, three hundred ninety-nine quid. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah, yeah about cheap fi- then. About fifteen hundred today, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was so you didn't. You had nothing more to do with. John DeLorean, you didn't... No, 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 John... And up until when he sadly died, you didn't... No, no, I had nothing to do with John at all. John had nothing to do with me. We Well, no, that's not quite true. Um, I had a phone call um, from a guy called Gordon... Gordon... Gordon somebody, I can't remember his name now. It's in the book. Um, I was working with Clive Sinclair, and I got a phone call at my home in Coventry, and this guy, Gordon, whatever his name is, on behalf of John DeLorean, because they wanted to salvage the dies, the body dies that stamped the stainless steel panels from the bottom of Galway Bay. Is that where you dumped them? They weren't dumped at all. They okay, is that where they ended all. up being relocated? That's where they, that's where they were relocated. <laughs> right. The dies were... In the ownership of DeLorean Motor Cars Limited of Don Murray in receivership, but they were in the hands of the company that I mentioned, Agus Lepler, right, yeah. in County Carlow, that stamped the panels, right? They were left with an enormous debt, bad debt. Yeah. So what you do then, any asset you've got that belongs to the company that owes you the money, you put what they call a lien on it, they put a lien on it, which means it becomes your ownership, and you can. Yeah. You have to go to court to do it, but you you always get it to try and try and uh, squeeze back a bit. Yeah, of your, you get a lost bit money. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 sold these great big lumps of metal that were absolutely useless for doing anything with other than stamping DeLorean body panels. Yeah. To a scrap merchant nearby in County Carlow, so. The scrap merchant sitting with this mound of great big lumps of metal yeah. with stuff on uh, brass pipes and things that you could take off and yeah, yeah. Uh, and sell independently a scrap, you know, worth a bit more. Uh, and along comes a guy who has a uh, salmon fishery in Galway Bay who's looking for great big lumps of metal to hold his nets down to keep his salmon in so they don't swim off into the ocean. That's fascinating. Right? So that's why they weren't dumped in Galway Bay. They were relocated They were there. relocated at Galway Bay for a purpose. Repurposed, but yeah, yeah. this guy, Gordon, I'll have to look his name up for you, um, rang me, and he was a private investigator, and he had a very dubious track record. And he, I didn't know that at the time. 
but uh, his voice uh, matched the track record that I learnt about later. And I said I, I had I wanted to have no part in trying to salvage the dies from the bottom of Golden <laughs> Bay. Thank you very much indeed. My time with DeLorean is over, and I'm now trying to rebuild my career. The following day, I had my phone number changed, and I went ex-directory. Right, okay. And I never heard from anybody relating to John DeLorean ever okay. again. Right. Until, in 2005, I went out to the States on business, and I was in Los Angeles, and it coincided... Am I right? 2005, yeah. Uh, I coincided with the Los Angeles Motor Show. Right. I went, decided to go to the show. So I went to the, whatever the hall was in LA. And uh, no sooner as I walked through the door, I bumped into a guy called Ed Lapham, who had been the financial editor of Automotive News, the Bible of the auto industry in Detroit, Yeah, who had been a regular visitor to DeLorean in Dunmurray throughout the whole project. Okay. He's the one journalist that knew most about the project. And although at times he was critical in his writing, he was always fair in his writing. Okay. And I was very flattered when Ed agreed to um, write the foreword for my first book, my DeLorean right. book. Um Anyway, I bumped into Ed. He said, Barry, he said, are you here for the funeral? <gasps> I said, what funeral? What are you talking about? He said, didn't you know John died the other day? Which I didn't know. I had no idea. That's oh, the first time there. Yeah. I wasn't there for the funeral, and I didn't go. It's a small small gathering anyway. It was mainly yeah, family. family, yeah. Fa- yeah. Mainly family. Anyway. And it was the other side of... It was somewhere in Michigan, I think, that he's buried. Um, yeah. That's that's how I heard, and that was the first sort of contact I'd had with anything to do with. And did your paths cross again with other people you worked with? So, just in my corporate career, I've I've seen the same people again. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, several of the guys that um, worked on the DeLorean project with me, actually, when I started my own business, worked for me on projects in that business. Yeah. Yeah, one in particular. John Hay, who was a brilliant guy, was brought in to assist George Broomfield with the with the production launch. Um, John became a very close friend. Sadly, he died about four years ago. But he was one of the three in Malay in Indonesia that I told you about. Right. That, you know, when we were sitting around with a beer, yeah, yeah. deciding who the stars of the Indonesian industry were going to be, John was one of them. So yeah, yeah, there were there were guys I bumped into that uh, and I'd worked with, and, uh, and with what it's a small you know, industry. Yeah, okay, mm. I, yeah, and with what you know now, what would you have done differently? Nothing. Right. Best four and a half years of my life. Oh, that's beautiful, man. By, by a mile, and you know, uh, in two thousand fifteen, we organised. Uh, I organised with the help. Working with, I wouldn't say helping, with the help of, working with a guy who was our financial financial controller, David Adams. We organised the the one and only DeLorean former employees reunion in Northern Ireland. Um, cool. After all that time, yeah, it was, it was thirty years 
It was a, we, we invented a 30th anniversary of something or other <laughs> um, because we decided we didn't have a reunion saying we might be dead. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. so, many, so many had passed on. We were the only two senior guys left in the company. It's all that smoking, Barry. Yeah. All that smoking, yeah. Um, anyway, we had this reunion. We had 200 people turn up of real cross-section from... And some of the guys that worked for us, the next generation of guys, they went on to do such brilliant things in their career. wasn't true. Some came from back from South Africa. Some came from the States, um, where, the, where the, obviously they uh, emigrated to work. Um, a lot came from the, from England, um, Scotland, uh, a lot of locals, and there were there were senior managers down to uh, shop floor workers, and the. The common denominator between them all, unprompted, was everybody was saying it was the best time of their working lives. Yeah, that's strange, yeah, it's isn't remarkable. it? Remarkable, absolutely remarkable. That is, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did a project with a guy, I've, and I've been with this guy for twenty nine years now mm-hmm. uh, in my corporate career, and we met doing a job together, and he was the boss, and I was his get stuff done guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it nearly destroyed us professionally and mentally. Yeah, it's the best thing we've ever done. We yeah. still talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, we changed the way yeah. a bank worked yeah. from an IT point of view. Yeah, uh, it took us three years, but it defined us. Yeah, and it was, yeah. Even now, I've yeah. got a um, I've got a networking card from a PC. Yeah, and he had that framed for me, and it's on my oh, desk. Fussy. And whenever I'm stuck, yeah, you know, yeah. when you get them problems, you're like, oh, I can't fix this. <laughs> that kind of screams out at me. And yeah. You can fix anything. Yeah, yeah. You just just be patient, sit there, have a think. It will yeah, be all right. Because yeah, if you have got that mentality of, yeah. oh, I can get this done, yeah. you'll get it done. Yeah, yeah, I was watching you on them documentaries and I'm like, I wanted to be part of that team. That's all I wanted to do. That's great. great just because you were yeah. proper workaholics and I lean that yeah. way. Well, we yeah we were well yeah we were I mean we were dedicated I put it a slightly different way everybody was dedicated everybody knew what needed to be done there was a tremendous uh, very talented group of people very few of whom had worked together before mm. um, drawn from different nations we had Americans we had Canadians we had a Greek we had English we had Northern Irish we had Scots and we all. Got the job done. And as I said earlier, when it came down to the uh, the factory workers, there were fifty percent Roman Catholic, fifty percent Protestant. You got the job done. And we got the job done. I've got about two more questions. Really? Oh well, you're so bloody poor, you can't afford forty quid. You can have them. (laughs) Gordon Novel. Gordon Novel, that guy's name. Barry, would you sign them for me? Because you know the unsigned ones are the valuable ones. I'm not going to sell them. <laughs> I'll sell. Yeah, I'll sign them. Come on. The stuff you've done is so iconic. <laughs> do you, do you pick that when you're looking at a job? Do you, or do you just no, think no, no, it's, a, it's, it's a salary? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been very fortunate particularly in some of the projects I've got involved in in Asia. Um, they're all, you know, so exciting and different. And well, You know that saying, don't you? Was it, uh, the harder you work, the more fortunate you get. 
Yeah, well, there is. well, yeah, there's also a saying, let me quote it for you. This Churchill saying, because my career wasn't exactly littered with successes. I'm um, thank Barry, this is more than I could have ever hoped for, thank you. Um, success means moving from mistake to mistake without any loss of enthusiasm along the way. I love that quote. Winston S. Churchill. Yeah. And his other one was keep buggering on. Yes. I kept buggering on. Yeah. I'm hoping with, uh, yeah, I'm hoping I get iconic status just because I get attached to you now. What, um, if, if, so just hypothetically, just for fun, if they were going to make the Barry Wills movie, <laughs> obviously my part for this interview would be played probably by The Rock or, you know, someone, <laughs> <laughs> someone quite big, tall and Oh, no, and who would play me? Who I've would play, um, who would play you? I thought it. One of my daughters said it to me. The guy with the Michael somebody with the with the German name. What's his name? Michael Fassbender. That's him. Michael Fassbender. Oh, very good. I like the fact you've already <laughs> the you've young, already thought young, about younger, it. No, I haven't. My girls have. <laughs> Barrett, you're a. Genuinely, I'm very chuffed by this. Thank you. Right. Do, do you know a comedian called Arthur Smith? Oh, yeah, I love him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I went to his gig and afterwards he was selling books. And his book is uh, My Name is Daphna Fairfax. And I was there with a friend. And we were going to get the book signed by Arthur Smith. And yeah. Arthur Smith said... Um, he talks about he, you, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's the wrong side of the river. Um, okay. So, and Arthur Smith, because my friend was in front of me, he said... What do you want in your book? And I'd said to my friend, my inscription was going to be, thanks for all the help, Matt. I couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> now, I've never met Arthur, but I just thought that would be a nice thing to have in a yeah. book. And my friend said my inscription. And Arthur Smith went, oh, that's very funny. And he wrote, I couldn't have done it without ah, you, Andy. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Wonderful. And then it got to my turn and he went, what do you want in your book? And I went, well, that bugger stole my line. And he went, that'll do. And he said, so I've got Arthur Smith. That's my inscription. That's that lovely. bugger stole my line. That's lovely. That's, oh, I see. Yeah. That's lovely. That's lovely. That's lovely. Let me ask you, right, I've got one question and go then on. I'll, I'll let you go. Um, well, I'm going nowhere. You're going, not me. Uh, in the documentary I watched, which was, so the first one where I first heard of you was Framing John DeLorean. Yeah. It's where... You're being interviewed. Now, obviously, I noticed you immediately because of your surname. So I'm like, yeah, of course. Oh, wow. Oh, look, we've got the same course, name. That's yeah, quite yeah, weird. Yeah. Um, and then you you said to the you said to the interviewer, you weren't looking at the camera and you just went and everything was great there until October 1981. And then you looked at the camera in a real sarky way. And I think I was having a drink at the time and I spat it out. Did did you genuinely intend that to be a funny moment? So was that a, was that like a gag? I, I wanted to um, lighten it, yeah. Right. I mean, October 81 was... The reason I chose October 81, that was when John uh, decided to effectively double production. Because the demand was so great from America that um, he wanted to take advantage of it. I mean, in fairness to John, the Americans' end was screaming for cars. And I, in fact, went out at the request of my second managing director, Don Lander, 
uh, to visit California uh, in November of that year, and it was still. Sorry, that was my phone. It was, it was still it was still the same. Um, Dick Brown, who was in charge of the U.S. end marketing end, was screaming for cars. He couldn't get enough cars. He took me a tour of the dealers. He took me a tour of uh, a number of dealers in California. I then went up to Michigan, and I was taking a tour of another group of dealers up there, and it was very much the same. So there was good. There was a reason for the increase in production. Unfortunately, it was done in such a rush that we didn't we hadn't got time to train the labor force okay and the quality of the cars went down again right which didn't help so you'd fix the 400 initially you'd learn all your lessons and yes. you got good and at then making we, cars and we went and did it all over again because you had a new because we hadn't trained the labor we didn't have time to train the labor it was a bad decision and in fact you know i was, was that one of the cock-ups that was the biggest cock-up oh that right led okay. to, <laughs> that led to the number of well you see it was just it was just one factor. Um, it started the ball rolling in terms of the number of cars we were producing, which turned out to be excess when the economy went down the tube in America. And as a result of that, we were owed more money than we would have been by the American end. Yeah. Uh, and we'd spent more money than we would normally have done to build those cars. So yes. it was a combination of factors. But yeah, it was October eighty one was the was the start of the downfall. And did you in the documentary where you had that because there's a proper glint in your eye, as if and you broke the. Well, I think I used the word cock up. I think you might have. Which actually. was which was I I even wondered whether that was acceptable to an American audience. But you <laughs> but you broke the fourth wall of being interviewed and you looked at camera. Oh yeah, and it was yeah. just and it was so was that intentional just to be the the clown. You know, and to get the laugh. I'm not sure I want to be a clown, but no, I think but from a I think comedic... it was deliberate. Yes, I think. Right. Uh, okay. I was. Um, what was her name? What was her name? That lovely girl that did that fantastic series on television. Give me a bit more. Um, did all that stuff looking at the camera. Oh, Fleabag. Fleabag. I was Fleabag before Fleabag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fleabag before Fleabag. You want to contact was it, uh, Phoebe Wallerbridge? Phoebe you Wallerbridge. Want, yeah. You want to drop her an email and go? Uh, ah. I think you owe me some money. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever meet her at a showbiz thing, I'm going to mention that. Well, there that. you go. She's remarkable. That I, is I'm my. A, I'm, I'm one of her greatest fans. I think she's she is remarkable. Fantastic. Have you watched? Um, have you watched Killing Eve? Oh yeah, I love Killing Eve. I had no idea it was the same girl. Um, oh, sorry, lady. Absolutely um, superb. Just yeah. great writing. Yeah, it is. Just really terrific. good writing. In fact, uh, the is it three series they've done now? Yes. She did the first one, I think, pretty well on her own, didn't she? And then she had others come in. They've never really repeated the brilliance of the first series. I think because it was so different to anything else that had ever been on. Well, it's quite unique in the... Yeah. It was a bit different, actually. I, I like the... Uh, and my girlfriend did as well. So, yeah. just very, very, very strong females. Yes, exactly. And, you know, there's not from her point of view, yes. and just because there isn't, there's yeah. not enough of that. No, absolutely right. So, um, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. she absolutely. Yeah, yeah they were she brilliant loved that. female roles. Yeah, and, and you, you know, it was odd to find yourself rather liking the uh, 
this um, yeah, the psychopath. Yeah, psychopathic uh, yeah. serial killer. Yes, and how funny. <laughs> yep. Because I've I've read yep. the books now, and I oh, have you. I've not done that. They're not that funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it just shows something was introduced, wasn't that? Yeah. yeah. So what they because she had she she had no role in the books, did she? She was she adapted the books to yes television. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. that humour that she puts in it, I love yeah. it when there's a. Because it was a really serious subject. Oh, yeah. Very and they, much so, yeah. They, they can turn it like yeah, that. It's, yeah. it's very clever. It's beautiful. Very yeah, clever, yeah. yeah. So what, what's next? For, have you got any more work lined up? No, no. I've and if trying. someone come, come oh, and say, hey, yeah. Barrow, we've got this idea. Are you like, oh, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, Is that going to move that? Yes, yeah, yeah. To read from the... This is my second book, because this is the prequel sequel of the, of the first right. book. Right. After the two Churchill quotes, despite all the ups and the many more downs of my 50-year career, I try my damnedest to follow the great man's advice. Final sentence. I'm really only sort of retired. Does anyone out there need my help? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do something again, but, you know, you've got to believe it. I'm 79 in a couple of months' time, so... You know, most but that's people. but that's experience. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people don't see it that way. You, you know, you, you're just an old fart. But uh, you clearly, I've, I mean, I've been with you for. We must have hung out for about three hours now, plus the time we've four. spent on the phone and the. Yeah, yeah. Well, you clearly ain't, are you? That's, oh no, uh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That's no, no one. I've got all. I've got all my marbles. My short-term memory is shot. But that's all my, all my pals are in the same boat, you know. You can't remember what the hell you did yesterday. You have great difficulty in knowing what day of the week it is. Yeah, you just did almost perfect recall on stuff. Oh, when yeah. I was asking take me back. Take me back 35 30, years, 45, 25 yeah, yeah. years, 40 years. I mean, I started at Jaguar in 1959. I can describe to you my first day. I wrote it in there. Yeah. My first day at Jaguar. I can remember every minute of it. Virtually. Long-term memory is absolutely incredible. Terrifies me at times. Whereas, yeah. Short-term, what day? It's, is it still Monday? It is Monday, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you're asking the wrong guy. Uh, it, I is, a, it is Monday. I had a terrible youth. So I, know yeah, it's, I know it's Monday because I went to the gym this morning. What do you do in the gym then as a 78-year-old man? I start on the... Um, I start on the recumbent cycle okay yeah that's and the one for, where you're sitting yeah, down that's right no, like i can't sofa. i can't cope with the bloody sit on the saddle thing because yeah hurts my okay. eyes. yeah yeah um i sit on the recumbent cycle and i do a i'm only allowed 50 minutes at the moment since lockdown you're restricted right okay so i have to be very careful about 50 minutes i do seven minutes riding my recumbent cycle usually the ride i like best is the one through uh monument valley you're going to have to tell me where that is. Cause it, it's in America, if, John Wayne. No, the great big pillars of red rock oh, okay. in the John Wayne movies. Okay. I always yeah. wanted to ride my horse through, um, get off your horse and drink your milk. Right. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> like John Wayne. But I've never done that, but I ride my recumbent bike through it now because you've got the screen on it. Because you've got the little TV. Yeah. yeah okay. And then I, then I go on the uh, treadmill for another seven or eight minutes and I walk... Uh, I walk eyes on the beach in Australia. Or Again, on the TV screen. Yeah, on the TV you're, screen, you're yeah. That's, that's one of my favourites, yeah, yeah. 
So I, I've got a range of walks I can do. I do that. And you're four days and a then week? I get four mornings a week. Yeah, and then I've got a, a, a personal trainer gave me this routine, you see, when I first went. Because I first went because I'd, I'd A, got to lose weight um, because I needed a new knee. I, I've had a, I had a new knee in November last year. Right. Coming up for a was year that, ago. Is that your first body part replaced? Yes. That's not bad. It's 78. That was because of a car accident. This one's not too good. This is my bad one. Yeah, okay. But this one was a result of a car accident. It wasn't my fault. Um, the only part of my body, fortunately, apart from my chest, that the airbag bruised, um, that was damaged. But, uh, yeah, so she gave me this routine to, A, help to get me fit, because she made a point quite correctly that if you want to lose weight, you don't lose the weight in the gym. You've got to lose weight by reducing your intake of food. Yes, yeah, yeah. What the uh, exercise will do is to get rid of the calories and uh, help you to keep fit. Mm. Uh, and she gave me a routine of exercises to strengthen my knee muscles Okay. in so readiness for the yeah. op. Now, I've had the new knee a year now, and uh, How did since you get then I've it? been doing the same. Fine. Fantastic job. And... Uh, I've been doing the same exercises again to strengthen my knee muscles after that. Yeah. And of course, as I said earlier, I, I do a five miler every week on a Thursday. That's not bad. Um, yeah, still. So, you know, and the, it's the best part of my body. works better than any other part of my body now. Well, I had, uh, so seven and a half years ago, I had both my hips replaced. Oh, blimey, did you? So that was... You're a young man. You're a child. Yeah. yeah. And Lord. Uh, well, I had a thing when I was a kid. So... Um, they were just deteriorating from oh, really? from about the age of five, yeah. Cool. So um, and it got to a point I couldn't put up with the pain anymore. Yeah, and I was on so much medication. Blimey! And then when I got that done, so that is effectively that changed everything in my life. Everything. Yeah. So the person I am here yeah. isn't who I was seven years really? ago. Really? Yeah. Just because well, my alcohol intake, my marijuana intake, yeah. and oh. my my um <laughs> my morphine intake. Yeah. Just off off the well, charts because well. it because it hurt so much. The second they did that, I didn't need all of that stuff anymore, so yeah. I stopped, and my life has just got what better and better alcohol? and better. Yeah, God. But the alcohol my will always lead to have a... came back during the uh, lockdown. Really, <laughs> I thought I became an alcoholic in Belfast because I lived in a hotel most of the time because obviously my permanent home was with where my family was in Coventry. Um, and I, I used to get back to the hotel very late, about eight o'clock, eight thirty. The restaurant was usually closed, and uh, I'd stand at the sit at the bar, chatting to the barmaids, to middle-aged ladies who were brilliant. Come used to mother me, um, <laughs> and I became addicted to uh, Bushmills. Irish whiskey. Not black, a good whiskey. Bush in particular, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was them that forced me. They, they they, told me that I couldn't go on like this. I was eating peanuts and drinking um, Bushmills Black Bush. Peanuts and whiskey was your yeah, diet. That was my, that was That's my your evening. third book. I was, having That's a, I was having a lunch. I was having a lunch. But they insisted. They got the chef to stay back. And as soon as I arrived, they would tip the chef off. And the chef would cook me a steak sandwich. Toasted steak sandwich. And that's what I lived on for 18 months. I'm wondering if... Because um, you strike me as quite charming. 
really? Well, yeah, and you clearly oh. you charged you charmed those barmaids. You charmed charmed John DeLorean like that. John charmed me. I couldn't out charm George. Heaven, uh, John, heaven's above now. Not a but, million years. Um, my dad uh-huh. he's obviously he's a he's a wheels as well. He is incredibly charming. Is he? I'm oh. reasonably charming. Okay. I'm wondering if somehow it's well, you know, when you get assigned your name, yeah, sort of if it was in a if we were coming off a car plant and they were going, Oh, you're a DeLorean, therefore yeah. you're this type of car, you're a yeah. Triumph, you're this type of car. If you're a Wills, they're like, Well, they've got to have charm, right? That's <laughs> well, and I'm wondering if it's, it's a trait that's fl- followed I don't know, us, very flattering of you, but because of our name, well, I, I, um, I've had two, ex- I've got two ex-wives, and I'm I'm never short of a lady to take to dinner. So right there you go. So you're a, and the glint in the eye. Look, okay. <laughs> uh, I've got, so yeah. Well, I like I like the company of ladies. I, I um, despite my failure to retain them, um, I enjoy the company of ladies very much indeed. I'm on the equivalent um, of my fifth marriage. Are you really? Yeah. Well, you're a shocker. I've done. I didn't marry any of them, but we we I, I live with all of them for yeah. I did three years, two mm. years, f- uh, five years, eight years, oh, and now thirteen years. Blimey! Well, I did twenty four with the first one. And oh, what's the what, what's the trick? Because I'd like to get to twenty four with. Well, no trick because I'm not sure. Oh, the tips. Give me some. Well, no. Give me some I, life I couldn't, tip. I couldn't because. I lashed it up, you see. <laughs> I did lash it up. I mean, I, I stuck with the first I'm one. I'm asking I, the wrong guy. I, you are. I, so that's 45 years with two women. That's not bad. Well, what was you hoping for at the beginning? What? That's not bad, Barry. Well, I fell in love, you know, one does. That's good. One you know, in, when in football, they say... Um, <laughs> They say at the end of a football game, you know, oh, if you would have offered me two nil at the start, I would have bit your arm off. If someone would have offered you twenty four <laughs> years and twenty years with two yeah, great yeah, I've got no regrets. I, I yeah. got no regrets in either. You would have bit their arm off. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had some enjoyable moments, and we had some bad moments. Um, I think you need the bad to yeah. so you can enjoy the good ones better. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. I remember most of the good ones. Yeah, remember most of the good ones, and uh, you forget the the bad times. Yeah, they do. They yeah. fade a bit, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the good yeah. stuff kind of yeah. sticks with you quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of getting yeah. married to uh, my one. Oh yeah. Well, well, you should. You got kids? No, and we and we can't have kids. Oh, that's a shame. And we're um, well, we're we're fifty, right? So we're not. Yeah, uh, we're not well, that yeah. fast yeah, anymore. No, no, exactly. But um, although I was. I was still breeding in my mid-fifties. My son's 27. And my daughter's... Just, wow. That little one there, just 24. Yeah. She's 24 last week. Wow. So uh, I was 50... I was 55 when she was born, wasn't I? Yeah, oh, so 55. I've got six years 54, to... 54 when she was born. I've never got but, it. But my wife was not 50. No, obviously, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I've never understood why you'd have children. I've never oh, ever yeah, got it. Yeah. Well, I've, I yeah, and I know I'm, I'm special, in the minority. Very special. Yeah, I, I've seen three of my four children born, and it is the most exciting, most remarkable moment of your life. Forget about working for John DeLorean or <laughs> to see to see your child emerge into the world is unbeatable. It sounds Absolutely awful. Unbeatable. 
It's, it is just beautiful. But like I said, I'm in the minority. Cause you are. You there's are. 7 billion people. You've, so missed, you've missed out. You've yeah, missed out. My dad said that. He said, yeah. uh, I was asking him about, have you got any regrets? And he went, yeah, I do actually. He said, I, I wanted you and your sister to have kids. And me oh. and my sister were floored by this. And your sister hasn't. No. Children, the pair of us are like, actually, yeah. Not, yeah. not that fussed. Neither of us have ever yeah. thought about it. It's yeah, yeah, and it's uh, yeah. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything worse, and I couldn't do stuff like this. I, you can't go into entertainment and have a family. It's not fair. It's well, you can't go and make cars and have a family. Apparently, oh, you did all right, my man. You did all well, right. Well, I, I apologise to my kids in here as well. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. What do I say? What made you want to write the books? Now, actually, tell me what you said to your kids first. Finally, this is the last. This is the last paragraph of the acknowledgements page. Finally, I acknowledge the seemingly patient, and ultimately impatient support of my two ex-wives, Julia and Catherine, and apologise to my two pairs of children, Carrie and Sean, and George and Laura, for having to put up with my lengthy absences whilst I assisted the auto sectors of industry <laughs> in 50 countries at other people's expense. Summed it up. That's beautiful. I was never there. I'm going to wrap it up there. I was never there. Barry, that's awesome, man. Um, right. I will, uh, in the show notes for this podcast, I will put Barry's website. Um, oh, I yeah, guess if you on, yeah. if, if you set up your own podcast and you come and interview Barry, <laughs> oh. he might come and give you some books. I doubt it, though. Oh, don't I, say I suggest that. <laughs> I suggest you buy them because Barry's a yeah, buy them. Barry is a I delightful man. I need the money. His um his two books are John Z, The DeLorean and Me, Tales from an Insider by Barry Wills. That's B A R R I E, and Forty Five Plus Years Without John DeLorean. And a little bit more with, and that's again Barry Wills. Thanks, Barry. I'm chuffed. Thanks for giving up your time. I've um, it's a pleasure. Man. You proper made me on the phone when we first spoke. I think we spoke for about half an hour. Did we? Uh, oh, you proper tickled me. And <laughs> and when even when I turned up today, it took me half an hour to set up, and you had me in fits. Yeah. And it, it made me feel like my. Um, Maybe I got the wrong job, Matt. Maybe well, I should have may- gone on the halls. Maybe, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it made me think of it was like family Christmas because mm-hmm. I'm a comedian, and yeah. even in my family, I'm not the funniest wheels in the room. Really? And that's how you made me feel. You sound like a comedian. You remind me of somebody. You remind me. There've been lots of. Uh, excuse me, calling you a Cockney, but you know, no, everybody, I get a everybody around time. London yeah, sounds yeah. like Cockney to me. Um, but yeah, you remind me of some of the old, the comedians of old. That used to talk with your sort of accent. Trying to think, Max Miller, I suppose, was one, wasn't he? I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, Max. It's Miller. funny what what I'd like in yeah. my voice, and the, I want your bass. You've got gorgeous bass Have in I? your voice. Oh God, yeah. I can't sing, Matt. No, but your the bass in your voice for audio is beautiful. Oh, okay. Because I've been obviously I, oh. I we did a test record and uh-huh. I heard it, oh. and I'm like, yeah. oh, that's good. And just oh, listening yeah. to you now, I reckon. You could be read when you're reading their books to me. I'm like, I could probably fall asleep right now. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jesus. You've got that bass in your voice. It's very soothing. My deep brown voice. Um, right, I'm going to press stop. Okay. Thanks, Barry. All right. Pleasure. Say goodbye, Barry. Goodbye, Barry. <laughs>